0: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fuelled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is down but not out. Uh, Now, with Chelsea supposed to be visiting Anfield last weekend, at least we can be grateful that the postponement of the season has spared us from having to give the Scousers a guard of honour. Little things, people, little things. But, with little sense coming from the Premier League, or the government for that matter, we plough on, not least with this week's 50 Years of Chelsea, where we revisit the 1974-75 season. The season where we were relegated, largely due to our failure to get a point at White Hart Lane. Mm. Uh, That just shows you how bad it was, really. But proof, if proof were needed... That while things might be bad at the moment, they surely can't be as bad as they were back in April nineteen seventy-five. Down, down, deeper and down. Chelsea fancast number five hundred and four. The, and the, there is a reference there, you see, J.K. to status quo. Deep, down, down, deeper and down, which was number one in nineteen seventy-four. Did you know that?
1: I've never heard of them. Chief. <laughs> Down down, deeper and down, da da down, deeper and down da 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 best bit when they went get down da 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 For normal intro actually on that song. But it's oh, it's a it's great it's it? a great pop song and a great example of uh, Status Quo's ability to get riffs out of practically nothing, just of C F and G in a twelve bar. I mean well, good luck them. Um, and uh, and um, uh, to to reiterate something we were saying uh, prior to this recording, um It's easy to be a headbanger when you've got long hair, whereas uh, uh, we have less hair than we did. Isn't that right, Clayton? Uh, Yes,
2: there is no question about that. I've lost lost many things over the year, and hair is one of them.
0: Indeed, Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. But uh, I think, you know, quite a prophetic song, really, given given what happened to us that season. But there you go. Anyway, uh, Clayton, how are you, dear boy? Lovely to throw this upon you as a nice surprise, as I often do.
2: Yes, no, absolutely lovely to see you both. It's it's fantastic. Uh, a real boon to lockdown it, life.
1: It's a Philip, isn't it, Clayton? A, a Philip,
2: that's exactly right. It's it is a Philip. A Philip. It's a Philip. It's great. It's really good fun. And I'm really looking forward to speaking about the lovely season that you've chosen for
0: tonight. Well, indeed. Uh, unlike me, you had the misfortune to be there, as did
1: JK. How are you
0: tonight, JK? I'm oh, good,
1: thank you. I'm oh, good. I am buoyed. I'm buoyed by uh, by this experience of uh, talking about this, and um, and looking at some of the clips that you so kindly sent us to see what a strange world it was of long hair and thin bodies. And um, you yeah, know, it's uh, I've uh, I'm keeping going, too I'm managing in my lockdown. Good. I've, to- uh, I've managed to give myself a knee injury by falling over in the street. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you can laugh. Clayton chuckled. I'm happy. F- I'm happy to go for a giggle there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I fell over on those some, um, you know, those black dots that uh, that the blind people use to to manoeuvre across the road at crossings. Well, uh, I managed to slip over on them and uh, catch my leg behind myself. And as an old person, you know where you are when you fall over and you hear, <laughs> you know that something's happened that's bad. So something has happened that's bad. So I'm now Mr Limper. But uh, I'm not going near a hospital. Anders
2: Limpa. Clever.
1: Clever. Um, Umpa Limpa. Oh, even better. (laughs) Anyway, I think, you know, we... I can't think of a third one.
0: No, I I think, yeah, we'll hit it and quit, as they say. Right, uh, on the show, on the show tonight, uh, with Chelsea (laughs) scheduled to play Liverpool at the weekend in an alternate reality, we ponder how it might have gone. Uh, with presumably Liverpool about to be crowned champions. Uh, Also, a couple of emails have come in uh, about the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge or not. So seeing as we're discussing the era when the East Stand was finally opened after being redeveloped at huge cost, both financial and otherwise, it seems uh, pertinent to discuss the modern plight as well in those emails, which we will do. And in parts two and three, uh, we continue our... It's like a saga. It makes the foresight saga look like a comic book, mate. 50 years of Chelsea by the Chelsea fancast, a series looking up, looking back at every season since 1970. And tonight, you lucky people, it is the 1974-75 season. Uh, the doom and gloom continues as Chelsea, having dispensed with their best players, start poorly, culminating in Dave Sexton, our most successful manager at that point, being sacked. Things don't really improve, and it all boils down to a relegation decider at White Hart Lane. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, But amidst all of the desolation, is there a glimmer of hope with Eddie McCready's Blue and White Army? And in part four, we wrap up as ever. There's a whole hat full of emails tonight, which I'm delighted to say. Now, as ever, don't forget, you can listen to the show uh, every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea-FanCast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And you can also tweet at Chelsea FanCast during the show. Tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. Now, after this very short interlude, we will be back to talk football. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, right. I mean, you know, I, I, tell, I tell you what, I'm I'm so sick to death of, of talking about what the Premier League have done, haven't done, are planning to do, are stupid enough to do. I, and I'm just, I've had enough of it. So I refuse to talk about it, even though I know that the government's kind of decreed that they're allowed to play behind closed doors from June the 1st. But I mean, that's so, well, that's contingent on about a million things anyway. So I'm buggered if I'm going to discuss it. But Jonathan.
1: I just wanted to say, what about this this FA uh, directive that the season will be completed? That they've made this directive only a few hours ago. Yeah, but they
0: have no power over the Premier League, so they they can say we're going to make the sky blue and we decree it
1: thus, no, and I nobody's going to be able to they, do anything they, about they, it. Aren't they the arbiters of the uh, uh, of all the competitions? They've got they, not, not the they Premier speak, League irrelevant, irrelevant, completely irrelevant. Oh, so no, but they're talking. Aren't they talking about the um the Championship? Yeah, so what, yeah. What so? That therefore will have a, a a bearing on the Premier League because the Premier League they can't have twenty three club or twenty one clubs next year, can they? If it if there is no relegation in the uh, from the Premier League, they're saying that the competition will finish. Well, they're you... saying this season will end. The FA are saying. Yeah. Well, the, so the they have F... come into huge clash. So why why make this statement? Is there some kind of one upmanship going on here? Politics, they, no they, doubt. They're just rattling a saber when they haven't got one. Is yeah. That what uh... it is.
0: I mean, they have no power over the Premier League, really, whatsoever. I mean, obviously, they make the rules, the laws of the game, but they can't tell the Premier League what what
1: to do. Aren't they adhering that? Isn't there a a constitutional law there somewhere about how competitions will, seasons will be finished, regardless of what happens? Is this not the power that they've got in this? Do
0: you know what? I haven't read read it, so I'm I'm absolutely going off at half-cock, but my presumption would be if the Premier League... You know, run the Premier League competition, there's absolutely bugger all that the FA can do because they don't have any jurisdiction over them. Why don't we talk to our resident lawyer? Yeah,
2: that's you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what the relationship is between the FA and the Premier League, to be perfectly honest. I've never really cared and I still don't care. I just think the whole thing is, is, is vile. I really do. Do um, you know that the, the the only thing I can think that I, I if if they want to complete this season, and I don't, really don't think it's financially viable, is that when we start it again next March, where we finish. Yeah. We finish off the season in March next year. Yeah. And if they want to, if things change and it becomes safer, then they can have a series of friendlies, or they can finish the FA Cup, or whatever. But just just park it. I mean, I know financially it's probably suicide.
1: Yeah, well, a lots of clubs will go under, surely. Yeah, yeah. that's well, the trouble, they, isn't it? They, they may do, they may do, but it depends
2: if, if you can get a series of, I don't know, mini-tournaments going and, to, and then start the season again next month. Because the fact is, you know, I don't know how many poor souls lost their lives today, but whilst people are losing their lives in their hundreds, you can't, any, any good consciousness, you can't, Think about bringing that
1: football no. who cares? Yeah. Who cares? I mean, I I, don't. I agree completely, but there Me are too. large numbers of people out there who think otherwise, I'm afraid. Well yeah. no, I mean we, when you say there's
2: large numbers, if you ask an average man Through slash ignorance. woman in the street where they'd like football to start again, everybody's gonna say yes. Because you want, you know, so forward everybody wants to watch some live sport, and that's absolutely fine. I completely understand that it completely sympathise, But So many things have to be in place before we can do that. The people who are pressing for it are the Premier League because they don't want to lose the TV money. The TV companies would love it. But, you know, there there is no thought for the players, the people who've got to man the stadium. And I don't care what anybody says, if the Premier League gets back and Liverpool are on the verge of winning the Premier League, whatever stadium that is being played at, you will get...
1: Hundreds of thousands of people of congregating. Will Absolutely.
2: congregate outside that stadium. Yeah. And I don't care what anybody says. And I, and, I, and I think even if there's just like normal Premier League games, there will be people who will mill outside.
1: But I think you'd actually have running battles with the police because the police will attempt to uh, disperse the crowds and yeah. there'll be people insisting that they're distancing or it doesn't matter or I can't catch it on, on ignorance. There's still so much ignorance around yeah. there around around this whole process yeah. social distance social distancing is, is a joke i wander around in in my mask in fear if i go out so uh you know
0: yeah it's really i mean look the reality is what's uh, a bugger's muddle we all know that i, 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 I a bugger a bugger's muddle, muddle. What Do you, you know a what? I'd love to know what a bugger's muddle is. Actually, I should. I sh- it's I sh- the muddle of buggers. Well, yes, but I should stop using these aphorisms until I really know
1: what they mean. It's one of like... your dad's, isn't it? What are you trying to say? No, I'm not trying. Oh, to right, say right, it. right, right, I think right. Rather charming. No, I'm not. What are you? No, it's just an expression <laughs> used by your father. No. no, there was nothing else. No <laughs> explanation used. No. <laughs> my father used to say, yeah, "You're a you're a tired Tim and a weary willy. He used well, to say to me that I that, could, do you
0: know what? I can I can imagine your dad, I can hear your dad saying that. Yeah, I can hear your dad saying yeah, that. Brilliant. Accent
1: was he using because I still don't know which was his real one practically. Um, anyway, but, look, uh, bottom, bottom line is bottom I was line was is really what that was. Just a second to finish that story off. Yeah, go it's on. And it's a, a comic strip from 1903. So clearly, it was one of his mother's. So that's been handed down. Wow! And I thought it was relevant. How these things go. So buggers muddle. Fantastic. Might not even be your dad's. Might go even further back. Fantastic. You
0: never know. Anyway, look. The the reality is, we we all know that one way or another, they they will be playing football because they absolutely financially have to do it. Um. And my my belief is that it will be behind closed doors.
1: But but also, it'll so Get them so much money just playing football. Even a few all the games because. Yeah millions and millions of people will watch more than ever will watch so so from an advertising revenue point of view it is like it's like the super bowl well it'll uh, yeah, but to the super bowl it
0: will only get them back to where where they were bear in mind because they're still going to be losing a lot of revenue from people not being at the matches but it will it will no doubt I i have no doubt it will keep them you know certainly premier league clubs it will hopefully keep them going because financially they're they're at real jeopardy, which is, uh, you know, we, we can sit here all being quite pious about it, but there's a real threat to the game, which is, I think, existential. Um, nevertheless, um, as I said, we were going to be playing Liverpool this weekend, and uh, it kind of got my mind racing to what, what an utter horror that might have been, um, on the basis, of course, that it's it's pretty, I think, it, it's pretty certain, Clayton, that they would have been champions by now so um i mean how do we think it would have gone uh you know let's assume that they were champions we probably still would have been battling it out for top four what do you think it would, would have happened
2: it's quite ironic wasn't it because five years ago probably about this time liverpool actually applauded us onto the pitch after we'd won the league they had to give us a of honor uh, in Stevie G's last ever game, if you remember, I right, do. I do. When he snubbed us when we all stood and applauded him off, and the charmers Nook didn't uh, acknowledge us and then said yeah. something equally unpleasant after the game. Um, and this week, have we not seen on social media all those lovely pictures of Manchester United having to give us a guard of honour when we won it in 2005 with uh, Gary Neville? Giving the 1,000-mile stare at the end of the the road—it's um, not nice. Uh, it would have been especially unpleasant. So hopefully, we, we've we've uh, we've not got to do that. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's I, it's a, if you think about when we finished the season, we were on a bit of a, a roll. We had a couple of really top-class performances. We had the Liverpool game and we've had the Everton game, the, the FA Cup and then the league game, and the team would look really good. So, you'd have to you'd have to be confident that if we weren't in fourth base, we'd be there or thereabouts. I think the only team that I would have been slightly concerned about would have been Manchester United, who similarly looked like they'd got their act together. How high-pressured um, a performance we would have got from Liverpool is hard to tell, really, because if they Chances are that they would have won it at least a month beforehand. Um, and if I think back to when we have won the league, um, the last couple of games, the teams found it really difficult to get motivated. I can't have any decent performances after you've won the league. Uh, and in fact, I can think of a drubbing that we got up at Blackburn one year. Not drubbing, that we lost to Blackburn.
0: Newcastle always, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, and so... It's hard to tell, really, but
1: I'd, I'd like to think we'd, we'd probably get a draw up there. J.K.? Well, I thought we were, as, as Clayton says, we we stumbled through injury onto a rather effective combination. It was the renaissance of Giroud, of course, at the time as well, who looked a rather excellent target man. You're thinking, well, yes, this is indeed the man who won the World Cup. And, uh, and of course, the emergence of Gilmore, who... Uh, Played completely out of his skin for two games and made us think, well, hey, this looks like a side that could go forward and win a rather large number of games the rest of the season. So we will, but we will never discover whether that momentum will be uh, maintained. But having looked at Twitter, Giroud has already signed another <laughs> contract um <laughs> S- sancho is coming to chelsea 99 percent. that was sure. brilliant
2: that was and, brilliant i sent that to you didn't i
1: yeah thank you yeah i yeah. said
2: i yeah. i will step back and leave this to you
1: <laughs> and uh i got sent i said last week i got sent a uh a secret message by somebody saying it's uh it's a false it's a parody account pay no attention to it so i now i'm slightly less um Incensed whenever I see it. But what's the other thing that they've suggested now? Um, a statement made yesterday by the club apparently that that uh, if Kante goes, Declan Rice is to be signed. As if as if the club were have any interest in that at all at the moment. Um, what was the other ridiculous one I wrote down? Yes, Chilwell is still coming. Hooray!
2: Oh, Ch- Ch- Chilwell apparently has told his agent. That Chelsea that's right, that's wants, right. to wants to, to
1: Chelsea. come to Chelsea yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. but us, is also now Chelsea's Chelsea's um uh, pref- he prefers Chelsea to go to his choice for a for a, a team in the Premier League um and it's so difficult to explain to all these uh these these numpties as one would politely call them that uh very little is going on but I think the only transfer was it didn't Norwich Buy somebody for some strange reason on a free. Um, they must be regretting that immensely because his wages will be grotesque, and they may they may go under unless they get a large number of people to support. Yeah, them. Yeah, but it, it, it was means,
2: awful, wasn't it? The Norwich are one of the size, one of the first sides to rely on the government's furlough yes, system. Yes, and then they go and sign somebody, which yeah. is just obscene.
1: Obscene. There's a lot of obscenity going around. Yeah, exactly yeah. the word at the moment. Yeah. There is a huge amount of obscenity awful. That is doing my head in when there are people, thousands of people dying in hospitals. Yeah. And and this 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 inane chitter chat and clubs about jibber the, jabber. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, talking of obscene, um, <laughs> you know me. Well, I,
1: we were we were making a statement about obscenity. You've now you've now uh, lightened the occasion. Well, uh, no, because there. you know
0: me. I, I'm very OCD. A bit like with the sea lion incident last week, which
1: <laughs> yes, yes, the sea lion. Yeah. yeah. I know.
0: Well, uh, thanks to the lovely <laughs> Claire. Uh, excuse me, but thanks to the lovely Claire McConnell, who is in Mixler tonight, sending me the link, which I couldn't find at the time of Pedro providing Perdito... Or Pedrito, uh, the sea lion, with his a, birthday with his cake. Pet. You said yeah. it was his pet. Well, he was, clearly. It's
1: not his pet. It was you his mean, friend. Anyway, I've... said that he was having a cigar with him in the front no, room. No, you said
0: that. No, you, but you, you said it. You No, you mentioned the cigar. Um, anyway, I've gone in and I've found out the meaning of bugger's muddle. And I know you're all waiting desperately to know this. Um, it is a mess, a confusion caused by incompetence and or lack of organisation... This this ought to be read on a Terry Thomas voice, really a complete cock up, unsatisfactory result with a with comic consequences, misguided effort, fiasco, result of failure to recognise yeah. consequences.
1: Yeah. We know that we I know. know what it means. Which
2: is, we want the origin. Want
1: the, yeah, the it doesn't say
0: it. the etymology is not, not here. But uh,
1: well, why have you just given us synonyms?
0: It's a, it's a colloquial military term. That's its etymology. For a disorderly group, either assembled without formation or in, in a formation that does not meet the standards of the commentator, very appropriate in in, in this context. Uh, just Will form me
1: the muddle, then.
0: Just form a bugger's You're muddle. The bugger. There's a bugger's muddle of civvies hanging around the gate. Get that bugger's muddle of yours fallen in properly. There you go. I Very rest good. my case. Enough. Very now, um, listen. Uh, what, could we I cut. The answer to that,
1: George, is they're an absolute shower.
0: Absolute shower. Absolute shower. Uh, now, uh, this is certainly not an absolute shower. This, this is. Uh, I know you love this. Actually, when people write in emails uh, that are kind of pertinent to. Uh, other stuff, so we can kind of bring them up forward. And there are a couple in this week. If you've got it up uh, already, J.K. Uh, on the notes and email. Oh, wow. The email. It's Rob Thompson, email number one. And uh, and you can do both of them if you want. It's entirely up to you. But if you, do you haven't want got them, them now? Do you yeah, want them because because they kind of relate to something that might be interesting to talk about.
1: Rob Thompson, hello Chelsea fancast. Hope you're all keeping well. <laughs> no, that's <Approximately laughs> not the accent. <laughs> He's, he's from Ashford. <laughs> oh
2: dear! Let him out of lockdown. <laughs>
0: I should, at this juncture, it's kind of like traditional for broadcasters to give out apologies or warnings or contextual things. <laughs> I should just add that during the recording of this show tonight, Jonathan has not seen or spoke to anybody all week, and he's been locked <laughs> in his studio in quarantine. Hence, his slightly Python-esque behaviour. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Off you go. Hello, Chelsea fancast. Hope you're all keeping. No, hello, Chelsea fancast. Hope you're all keeping well. I've been working through the lockdown. I've been very grateful for it. Good for you, Rob. Thank you for keeping the pod going during this strange time. No problem. I'm really enjoying the historical stuff just as well. Now is a great time to look back and reflect. What are your opinions on the proposed expansion of Stamford Bridge? The plan seems to have been shelved for now. I'm hoping the club have a bit of a rethink. Personally, I don't see the need for a 60,000-seater stadium. I perfectly understand the reason for wanting the redevelopment of the ground. The club are looking to increase their matchday revenue from the corporates to compete with other clubs. I was wondering if the club had properly looked at other less ambitious options. Would it not be possible to knock down Uncle Ken's hotel and build build a shed end worthy of the name? The shed is too small, and since... Since Jose insisted the away fans were moved into the southeast corner, it hasn't been the same. I really didn't like the idea of Wembley Stadium for four to three years either. Stay safe, everyone, and remember football's the most important of the least important things. Come on, you Blues! Come on, you Blues! Rob from Ashford in Kent, as opposed to the other Ashford in Middlesex. Can I comment on? A couple no, of- let's we'll read Ashes out first because it, it works on a similar theme. Oh, oh sorry. Good point, Judge. Good point. Uh, Ash Simpson, dear Stanford Chidge, R.E. Stanford Bridge, after hearing last week, you only received a few emails, thought I'd better get off my keyboard, but get in contact. Well done, Ash, you have. Fortunately, in my mind, I'm a key worker at this time, working in the print industry. We need labels printed to know what drugs we're taking or administering to others. Yeah, bloody hell. I say fortunately working and supporting the national effort because I do feel for those who are adhering brilliantly to the social distancing while sacrificing their own mental health, or as I prefer to call it, mental fitness. The term mental health seems to have a stigma to it. We all have mental fitness where sometimes we're fit, unfit or injured. Anyway, you can start the email from here as it's a football podcast. I totally rambled in the intro, but you made some good points. Um, First of all, congrats again on the recent 500 podcast. It isn't an achievement to be underestimated. I think that my, the my Chelsea Friday night love sport replacement is excellent. And I feel like I understand your fellow casters that little bit more. I wanted to talk about Stamford Bridge and my recent appreciation of it. I've always thought for Chelsea to progress, we needed a bigger stadium to be a bigger club. The recent situation of no football has made me realise it doesn't matter the size of the club or the success of it. It's, if it's your club, it's your club. and to, and, to mat- and no matter the size of the stadium or success, that affection doesn't change. I recently got a model to make of Stamford Bridge for my birthday. With my sad little mind, I read about the history of each stand as I made it. (laughs) It's a lovely, fantastic idea. I didn't realise the 1970s East stand development crippled us, as we will soon talk about. I totally forgot the cars parked round the shed end. Yeah, the the stigma of those little blue invalid cars. My first visit to Stamford Bridge was for Steve Clark's testimonial in 96, when the West Stand was rubble. I can only remember the parked cars from watching my cousin's lent VHS of the 88-89 promotion season when I was young. I've been re-watching some season reviews from the late 80s and early 90s on YouTube. Want to know why the seats in the East Stand not blue? Very good point. The beauty of the stadium... Is It isn't some perfect bowl with 60,000 people. It's a stadium that has evolved over 140-plus years and has plenty of history. If we, or should I say the club, really desire 5,000 or 10,000 more seats, then can't the shed end not get redeveloped and the Chelsea village gets dismantled behind it? Of course, this would need to be done all without removing the original shed memorial wall. Making this stand taller wouldn't infringe on the protected views of St Paul's, would it? During the redevelopment, we wouldn't have to leave the stadium. Most importantly, with only one stand redeveloped, we wouldn't lose some of our identity like those North London mobs have lost during their stadium transfers. As only being an... an, an an addition to the cast since 2018 and a one-time emailer prior to this. I'd love to hear your views. Or is that an addict, I should say to the cast. uh, I'd love to hear your views on Stamford Bridge. Is it actually a modern classic as other stadiums are slowly being replaced around the country? Keep up the good work. Ash Simpson from Bury St Edmonds.
0: Interesting points. Interesting points there by both Rob and Ash. Um, Clayton, what, where do you where do you stand on, i mean first of all what do you think those two emails and secondly where do you stand on the issue i think we, which i think is you know should we stick should we stick or twist on stanford bridge
2: um okay so first off both excellent emails and thanks to both of you um and sorry for jonathan's <laughs> completely inexplicable <laughs> irish introduction to the first of them. however funny it was um they, they both said to th- they both said the same thing um about one how big a stadium do we need and wouldn't it be possible to demolish the hotel and um have a huge stand where the shed is i think that the main problem with that and i i the one thing I would say more than anything else is I'm sure that our beloved owner, when he was looking at um, redeveloping the stadium, got a complete and utter view on every single possibility. Um, so I would imagine that what was proposed was the best possible um, option going forward. I think the, the biggest problem that we've got with the stadium is probably the East Stand because it's now so out of date and so rickety in its own sort of concrete way. Um,
1: it's illegal, isn't it, Clayton?
0: The raking's too high.
2: Yeah, yeah and, and, and the point is that because of its closeness to the railway tracks, there's absolutely no way that you can redevelop that standby unless you actually redevelop the whole stadium. So I think the, the club have got no option. Do we need a 60,000 stadium? Probably not. 50, 55 would be plenty. Um, I, I do, I, I have to say that that when it was proposed that we might be going to Wembley for three to four years, the, the whole thought of that just filled me with complete and utter horror. Um, because I just, I mean, obviously it's a long time. And I think on the basis that we're not going to see any live football for at least a year, if the, if the stadium is to be redeveloped, then it may actually be, even longer than that um, by the time we, we get our new stadium. At least I'll be able to get senior citizen uh, tickets by the time that happens. But no, I mean, listen, uh, the, the plans that we saw and everything looked absolutely fantastic. Um, and it would, be, it would just be beyond my comprehension um, to be in a, a fantastic stadium like that. But I, I think the reality is, with what's happening in the world at the moment, I think that is probably very, very low down on the list of, of, of things and certainly in priorities. So I can't see it happening anytime soon.
1: JK, um, just to clear up a couple of things, um, uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I, th- I thought we'd we'd sort of discuss this before. Actually, perhaps you guys missed the program. In fact, that we we did it, the show that we did. the the um, The difficulty of building. Uh, of demolishing the hotels and building uh, the shed end, is the uh, the right to light of all the people behind who live? No,
0: that, that was sorted out. It? That was sorted out. Are you sure? Yeah.
2: They yeah. they reached what they what they did was that they CPO'd the um, house next door, as the council is entitled to do, and they were taken to court and then uh chelsea came to a settlement with them
1: well and then what about what about the fact that if you wanted to make the stand higher you've got to build the foundation under the into the into that area you can't therefore make the stand higher at the shed
2: well i think th- if you think about the height of the shed at the moment yeah that basically is the, right, that, that is the light that, that, get, that they get at the moment. And therefore, if it's, that basically, that light's all blanked out for anybody who's affected. So you'd have to think if they went higher, it's not actually going to make that much difference.
1: No, but well, I thought it was the combination of the two, if that's the case, if the light isn't the case. But the other one was the fact that to build the foundation for... Because it's like looking at the Liverpool yep. stand that they built. They had to demolish... They bought all the houses the other side... Of that bit, all the away fans always walked down to get out. Um, they uh they had um uh they they, they bought all those houses and then demolished them to put the, yeah. the foundation for the whatever. You know, I'm not an architect, I understand the the angles, the cantilever, whatever it is. So, I was told that the you couldn't build further out to to make the shed any higher or even make it change it because you'd have to change the foundation and the foundation would go into all those studios that are just behind the shed end
0: oh, yeah, yeah. it right. may well that may well be that was that what may, i was yeah told. that may that that may well be true but i think the the bigger issue is i mean there are all sorts of alternatives aren't there i mean i i mean you know i don't know about the engineering issues but i'm sure that, that that's a salient point jk but the biggest point that we still have which nobody seems to grab hold of is that the biggest issue we have is the access and egress, and we are already at capacity yes. i mean it, it this staggers me, given that you know we used to have seventy eighty thousand people walking out of stamford bridge in in the thirties and the, in the fifties. But obviously, rules on that have changed, and, and we are absolutely at the max for that at the capacity we have now. So if we're going to increase the capacity at all, whether it be knocking the shed down and building a, a one-tier stand, whether we could or not, I don't know, or or knocking the east stand down or whatever, or even building the the what I think is an undersized Matthew Harding end as well, I think that's too low, but it will increase the capacity, and we can't because we're not allowed to have that many people coming out unless... We can have an, access, an egress point north of the stadium, which, of course, was the idea to build over the railway line and have an access or an egress point into Fulham Broadway Station.
1: One of the reasons why also that so many large crowds could get in was originally uh, it, it wasn't narrowed down because the hotel is in there and the two buildings are there. That there was a, It's much narrower to get in to where the stands are, whereas before you had that huge terracing. And where all the all the turnstiles were, where people could come in and filter left round the back where the shed was to get round the ground, and or go right into the east end and similarly get round the ground. So actually, there were there were much huger uh, entrance points. True.
2: The the ivy clad offices, Jonathan, they were on the right hand side. Were they past where the um, the hotel is? I think I've got a memory that they was they were slightly they were more or less adjacent to like the they were just before the old east stand started weren't they
1: yeah yeah but then there was a bizarre bit of greenery on the back yeah yeah with bushes in it um i know it's what makes you think how did that not ever get used but the ground was it but it got worse and worse discussing the state of disrepair of the ground where there were no facilities and the and the the anything that any confectionery that was sold this went well into the 70s and 80s and even to the 90s was clearly people with franchises who just went to the the cheapest most bizarre um uh, unknown places brands that i'd never heard of were being sold at huge amounts of money
2: correct me if i'm wrong but i think when i first started going there was a trestle table outside um, the offices where you could get wagon wheels and yeah. other such yeah. wonderful yeah. things, wasn't there?
1: Yeah. It was it was like a bring and buy sale, the way <laughs> the whole thing had gone. So, uh, um, yes, change.
0: Um No, I just, just was giving you the l- let's wrap this part up yeah, thing, because yeah, yeah. we've already done 40 minutes. But I just wanted to say, in, in, you know, just to kind of, I think, really touch on what uh, Rob from Ireland was saying, sorry, from uh, Ashford in Kemp yeah. was saying, it could, of course, be Surrey, couldn't it? Yeah, but I I have a sense that that the cathedral of football that that were in the plans, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I think, actually, what's happened with the coronavirus kicking football in the teeth financially will be the final nail in that coffin, even if that hadn't... I mean, you know, I think that may have been the case beforehand, actually, but I think this will certainly make that the case. So I think Chelsea will do one of two things. They'll either stay as we are or... Or they will try and build a new stadium somewhere else, uh, which would be just reprehensible from my point of view. I, I'm warming to Rob's idea. I, I like that stadium. I think it's unique. Um, you know, I, I would be. I, I I don't have a problem if it if it doesn't get rebuilt. I like it, and I'd be happy if it stayed. But then I'm in my fifties and I grew up with it, and you know I I do accept that that might be you know a minority view. But I, I'm you know
1: that's how I feel. I, I actually think it might have created an environment where it makes the rebuilding more likely. Really? Because,
2: why? Because I, know, think- I, I know where Jonathan's coming from. It, okay. Do you think okay. of a depressed economy,
1: yeah.
2: uh, jobs, construction industry. Um, it is something. I mean, the, the, I, I think the, you know, if, if we're playing behind closed doors for a year and if they started work on the stadium sort of, you know because construction work can start um it might it may actually preempt it but oh, I, I, I think the the most important thing here is is roman obviously and yeah. what roman wants and,
1: to and do almost almost give him such enormous praise for what he's been doing recently with uh it's a, it's with extraordinary. The local community. yeah it's been but uh, i was reading an article just saying how in fact the the club its foundation, the Chelsea Foundation, is, is a constant, has been doing this for years. Yeah. And uh, in actual fact, it's the, one of the most laudable, praiseworthy aspects of the club that, of course... Has...
0: Did, you, did you read my article or the interview I had with Simon, who heads it?
1: No, I haven't. I must. You should I,
0: check I, it out. He's fascinating.
1: I, and you're I, right. It is quite phenomenal. And, and, uh, uh, and I think that the, after this, they should work very closely with Roman if they possibly can be bothered to open up those paths again with him to see what the community to to even work even better with the community because or even allow him some kind of uh, of knighthood access access to the country well it's been completely phenomenal but no I was also thinking as well as, as what you were saying about cheap construction and starting is that of course say say a club like Queen's Park Rangers collapsed um, or even uh, an, even Fulham collapse. It won't be because it's got a, a, a billionaire behind it. But, I mean, supposedly so has Rangers. But let's see what happens. Is that originally the idea was to try and um, uh, build uh, a, the Limford Christie Stadium, make that into a stadium that the club could then play at um, uh, with 40,000, uh, over 40,000 capacity. Um, and they were willing to actually... They had talks with the council and this was a possible go at the time. And you just wonder whether there are other opportunities for have temporary arrangements um, uh, that, that, that preclude Wembley, because Wembley was by no means a foregone conclusion. They were trying to avoid that for the very reasons, Clayton, that we've debated about our, 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 our you know, we'd lose the will to live having to go. And it would have killed the support. Yeah, and Agreed. I, I think the the club were very aware of that, and uh, we're looking for all these alternatives. that's why they initially made this bid for the Linford Christie Stadium, saying they would spend you know a huge amount of money to get into a forty thousand stadium, and then and then uh, <laughs> yeah, if I got a bit boring, yeah, I've got no, a bit. no I'm uh, giving you the royal wave. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting to oh. the end of the sentence, Gid. finishing now. Clayton's on his fifth crate of beer. But, yeah. Uh, Yeah, anyway, but yeah, the possibility was there and they were going to try and then flog it to Rangers and Rangers weren't interested and then it ended. But if Rangers have got, you know, beggars can't be choosers, it might be on again. Hooray! Oh,
0: brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right, that's great. I mean, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about something kind of pertinent and relevant to Chelsea for a change, rather than just moan about the fact that we haven't been playing any football in the Premier League of Venal. Anyway, um, something that certainly is not Venal and is very pertinent to Chelsea, of course, is the CFC UK fanzine. Uh, both Clayton and I write for that, as you, you lot out there probably know. Uh, there is a new one out, which is a JT special, which is an absolute humdinger. I mean, it's it's. I think there are more contributions. It's a big, big much fatter issue than usual. There's also a, an interview with JT as well, which is well worth a read. Um, now, okay, obviously you can't get it on a match day because there aren't any at the moment, but you can still get it uh, digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net. Uh, uh, but you can also still get a copy, a proper, proper copy, um, if uh, if you pay <clears throat> two quid, which includes the first-class postal delivery. And what you have to do is send your uh, email address or postal address via email, uh, and pay via PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. And I do believe that we're doing a whole load on eBay again, aren't we, Clayton, so from what yeah, I see? Yeah, I
2: think Walter Otten's sorted that out. Um, and I think uh, you need to hurry up, because I think, in the true hurry up... Hurry up! Uh, they're running out. Um, are they? And yes, they are. I think there's less than 60 copies left. So, wow, uh, wow. Um, what we'll do is we'll get the link for you and we'll uh, put it on the FanCast Twitter. Yeah, yeah, team.
0: definitely will. Definitely will. Uh, so there you go. Hurry up, as they say. Now, we, we're going to hurry up because uh, after this little break, we're going to be talking. I can't wait for this. In fact, as the boys will know, uh, to celebrate the fact that we're going to be talking about 50 years of Chelsea, the 1974-75 season, I'm wearing my 1970s Chelsea shirt uh, complete with my 1970s style haircut thanks to the lockdown. Have you seen that? Have you seen that?
1: Good, very you got nice a mullet. you've got a mullet everybody listening almost
0: it is getting mulletable isn't it do you know what i particularly hate is that the little gray bits that now sprout from the back i need to get the clippers out on those
1: oh it's a silver fox mullet it's really groovy
0: it's a bit two-tone looks like i'm wearing a, a syrup mate
1: yeah there is always that but nobody can see you
0: true enough well that's, that's the the joy of lockdown isn't it anyway okay uh, after the break we'll be back to talk about the 1974-75 season
1: fans real opinions i'm jason cundy and you're listening to chidge and the boys on the chelsea football fancast total nutters and proper
2: chelsea
0: okay uh now before we uh Proceed with the 1974-75 season. Uh, it's a good time for me to go. Oi, oi! Don't oi. forget. Don't forget. You, uh, you can, uh, you know, support us uh, by, by or, or patronise us in the nicest possible way uh, by becoming a member of the Chelsea Fancast Patreon page uh, or Patreon, if you prefer. Uh, it helps us to cover the cost of running the shows, uh, which, believe it or not, is a lot of money anyway um so if you want to do that it would be lovely if you could uh and uh, it's very easy to do just go to www.patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast thank you very much to jay who i noticed signed up this week Uh, and occasionally when i can get my finger out of my rear end we do special things in fact actually there's a um there's a a vicious rumor going around on our whatsapp group that we might bring uh we might be doing a quiz night and uh, Dan seems to be quite up, or Dean certainly seems to be quite up for doing it. Inviting a few of the Patreon members into that quiz night. So Patreon members, if you're listening, get hold of me if you're interested in that, and we'll 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 do a big quiz night with you lot. And if there's enough of us, we'll have to split it into teams. But it sounds like it could be fun, and we'll do it all on Zoom. So how about that? Interested, Jonathan?
1: I've already replied. As long have as he? I can bring Pedrito the seal, of course, <laughs> of course,
0: Clayton.
2: Always up for a quiz.
0: Yeah, me too. As long as I can be on Martin Wickham's team. Be brainy. <sighs> yes. Martin, I, I, in fact, I still have it here. You can't quite see it because it's out of shot. But up, up there, you might be able to see You're on my shelf. That silver cup is the Chelsea Supporters Trust quiz cup, which I've won twice, but largely because Martin was on my team both times. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, enough of me plugging stuff. It's now time for us to talk about, and as I said, I really love this part of the show. It's I'm becoming so enamoured of this. It's not true. But as you know, 50 years of Chelsea, we're going through every season from 1970. We're now up to 74-75. And if you recall from last week when we were, we had the lovely Rick Glanville on, um, we thought that 73-74 was a pretty pant season. It was the lowest finish Chelsea had had since they'd come back up. the second division in the early 60s so it was getting pretty grim and as i said to, to to rick it's one of the few times when you can really say that you know chelsea were absolutely shit but i'm glad that i wasn't there then because i i had not yet turned up So the uh, the big news for 74-75, really, was that uh, David Webb uh, had gone to QPR by this stage. Aussie uh, and, and, and Alan Hudson had already gone. David Hay had signed from Celtic uh, after Scotland had actually distinguished themselves at the 1974 World Cup finals, where they, I think, uh, they drew, they drew nil-nil with Brazil, uh, and they, they drew all of their games. So they're undefeated, and they still won out. But they were impressive at the that's seventy-four. That's because
2: they drew with Zaire.
0: That's right. They, that's right. with that. Yeah. And who else did they play? Yugoslavia?
2: I can't remember, but I, I don't know. If they, they mostly were nil-nil games.
0: They were. But anyway, getting David Haig from Celtic was, was really quite impressive. We paid over 200 grand for him, which remember at the time the club had absolutely no money because the East End cost so much money. The other signing, and this really interested me when I read Tim's book, was we signed John Sissons as a winger. Um now John Sissons turned out to be the last player Chelsea spent any money on for four years. And of course this has a lot to do with the other thing that happened uh in the summer before we kicked off, which was the East End was finally finished. Um now of course the first game was was at uh was against Carlisle, which we lost to 2-0 as we know. But before before we get into what happened and stuff in the early part of the season you two, were you, were you? Did you? Did you make the Carlisle game, the first game of the season? Jonathan did. Were you yeah. there, Clayton? Yes, I was. All right. So, what? What? Uh, I'll ask you first, Clayton. What was your impression? You know, you, you walk into Stamford Bridge, and for the first time, this bloody great big white elephant of a stand was finished. So, what were your first impressions?
2: Okay. So, what you got to remember is that the first day of any season, you are filled with hope. You're filled with wonderment. You're back at you're back. new football season, and you are always hopeful. Walked in. It was a very sunny day from memory, and um, I was standing in the shed. The East Stand was to my right-hand side. I was on the right-hand side of the shed. I was very excited, signing David Hay, who was the club record signing at the time. And we were playing at a newly promoted team. What could possibly, possibly go wrong on the opening of our new stand? It was, as they say in the classics, proper Chelsea.
0: It really was, wasn't it? 90 it really seconds. Was. 90 seconds. Yeah. Bill Green of Carlisle opened the scoring.
2: Dreadful goal to concede. Really awful. My all-time hero, having watched the two goals in the very... Um, kindly provided link to the YouTube I was horrified because he was at fault with probably both of them Mr Bonetti yeah the first one possibly mix up with the defenders the second one he sort of I don't know it was a complete freak the second one but um, he didn't cover himself in glory
0: Jonathan what what were your you were were still sitting in the in the benches were you at this stage or or did you move to the East Stand I think
1: we moved to the East Stand I think we were um, Were in the executive club no i my my father's ticket from the seat he decided that that was too expensive two pounds so, fifty so uh no, so well he, no
0: sixty five pound the season tickets there he had,
1: he had a season ticket in the um the upper tier uh in the front row I was right about that so I could um try Ike and still be heard and uh, I remember subsequently taking a girl with me and um what if he had two tickets. one season he very beautifully was doing quite well and he bought me a ticket to sit next to him. And then he rarely went. So I used to try and take girlfriends and uh, um, the girl I was going out to see if they were interested in football. And I remember unbelievably fortuitously once the ball being um kicked towards us in the upper tier. And I, and it was heading... It was to, a shot, was it? It was a shot, yes. And I, I was, uh, and it was heading towards this girl's head. And uh, I rather beautifully, in true wicket-keeping style, just went, Poop! and And anybody at home, I'm miming this in front of Clayton and Chidge. And just, Caught the ball beautifully and then just threw it back onto the pitch really? nonchalantly. Nonchalantly, yeah. <laughs> Thinking, God bloody hell! Was man. it?
2: Was it a shot from one of our strikers? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it
1: probably was. Yes, then. But um, but yeah, no. I, I, if I remember rightly, because we'd spent the last few years in the while well, it was being built in the West Stand, we were sort of put there temporarily, and because um, I used to sit, and that's when I I started sitting with Jonathan Perez. Um, who was um, uh, one of our, our our excellent listeners who uh, I, I see occasionally um, when he comes over from israel and um, he uh, he sat with his sister deborah and um, and the dad and their dad who was fantastic and one great chelsea fans um, uh, in the uh, as i said in the upper t- upper uh, the upper tier and it was a great view and i then but i coveted the middle seats from the in the executive area just because they Seemed to be so much nearer to the pitch, which they were subsequently when I sat there. Um, but yeah, it was about 65 quid, I think, Church. I think. Well,
0: I mean, you know, I'll be very honest with you. I mean, I, I toddled up to, to Stamford Bridge a couple of years later, didn't I? By accident, really, to see that semi final, the FA Cup semi final between Southampton and Palace. And I, 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 I swear to God, it was the East End that, that brought me back. Many years later, I fell in love with Chelsea because I just thought this thing, it looked like a spaceship had landed. It was so out of kilter and out of context with the rest of the ground. It
1: was and it so just surprisingly unfinished, though, that was the problem. There were so many things that short short, yeah. court, short circuits they'd taken with it, short cuts they'd taken with it. And yet it was still a great view and unbelievably impressive. I was was really impressed right. by it. It still is. But, yeah. It's- it's just it, 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 no, they've, they've obviously they've they've refurbished and made it up to standard because they want to get all the corporate people and the money in, which they've succeeded in doing. But it it's very impressive. It's still a very mm-hmm. it just looks so ridiculous having that with the rest of the ground yeah. pieces. That you know, but I
0: kind of like that. I don't know why that appealed to me as, a, as an eleven, twelve year old kid because
2: it's a bit like Lords. It's all yeah. got these different higgledy-piggledy stands yeah. all next history. to each uh, other. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, but but what shouldn't be forgotten is that, okay, the money ran out, but but basically that was going to be a bowl. That was the first part of the bowl, but the bowl never got finished. Uh, It never really got started after the East Stand. I mean, the East Stand was, I mean, in its time, it was ahead of its time, wasn't it? Because it was the first cantilever stand in in the country. Imagine
1: that all of it would have been like that. Yeah,
2: it would have been been sensational. Sensational, Sensational.
0: great vision, but very little practical sense. I mean, one thing that caught my eye in Tim's book was that, you know, clearly, you know, already we were seeing that the club finances were being impacted by uh, not only the the the, the huge cost of that stand, but of course those costs increased because there was rampant inflation at the time, all sorts of badness going on with the economy globally. Uh, You know, we'd just come out of a three-day week, if you remember, and people were having to eat their dinner by candlelight, not in a romantic way. But the thing that caught my eye was that Brian Mears was adamant that basically Chelsea needed to get uh, a crowd of 35,000 in each game to break even, right? And this was at a time when uh, attendances across the country were actually all reducing. This will have further ramifications later on. But before we do that, I uh, just wanted to talk about Chelsea's early season form, which uh, to me uh, seems to be punctuated by slow hand claps, of which I'll ask you in a minute. But we lost to Carlisle, we drew away, oh, sorry, we drew it home to Burnley, 3 all game we threw away, uh, then we beat Coventry and Burnley away, uh, and then we'll, we got Liverpool at home, which I'll, I, I'll talk about in more depth in a minute, but... The team were basically pants. One of these things that again struck me, chaps, was that Sexton was playing Houseman, who, you know, because we've been doing these shows and we've been watching a lot of these clips that I've dug out from YouTube, you know, and I I never really knew much about Houseman, but what a bloody player he was, as I'm now discovering. And and, and I I said to Rick, I think, last week or, or Marco on Friday, he was a very modern kind of player. The way he would pass the ball, those kind of inside balls, what on earth was he doing at left back? And Chelsea were so poor; they were getting a lot of grief from the supporters. Do you
1: remember the slow hand claps, J.K.? Well, non-stop. That was that was the kind of major way that you expressed your dismay. Was uh, you didn't boo as uh, as much as, as slow hand? And what a load of rubbish was the phrase you that was used that was chanted?
0: What a load of rubbish! Exactly. Exactly. Get out of here! It was much
1: politer than it would be nowadays. It would yeah. be a lot of of. Uh, abuse and booing and um you know your mind you I think the odd uh you know fucking useless manager. that that was that would be shouted out then as it is now um but and there was also towards the end of the season constant chance of us oh, good us oh, good yeah we'll get to that we will get to that I've shot my bolt now haven't I no, no pre-ejaculation from you, you know, this week But like that. but that I remember in particular there was a um as the season got worse and worse um um but uh, can I just say something about what I uh, what always bemused me? But if you look at it now, of course, is that everybody had long hair, um, which was one of the things that they like
2: status quo.
1: Yeah, indeed. They, they couldn't help themselves. Well, that was, yeah. yes, all the pop, all the pop singers had uh, had long hair. Um, uh, but yeah, it was it was um, the, the, yeah, the the slow hand clap was a kind of I think that was quite common everywhere. It was a, as a sign of you weren't happy with stuff. But it was, it would start really early on. I remember actually somebody would start it early on. I remember having a row with somebody who's come back. Some bloke started very early on and I said, hang on, hang on, the game's hardly started and they're playing quite well. What's the matter with you? When everybody went, yeah, he's right, he's right. Yeah, shut up. And then after about 20 minutes, everybody went, yeah, okay. <laughs> Because it was shit. But, uh, Mm. But,
0: yeah. Clayton, um, a really poor start. Well, I mean, what do you make of Houseman being played at left oh, yeah,
1: back? Sorry, I wanted to mention something about that. Sorry. Okay. Well, I,
2: I think, and sort of what Jonathan was probably about to say um, and has said previously, is he was much maligned. Mm. He really was. He was the he was the modern day boo boy. He was he was basically he was the John you know he was John Obi McKell, The the misunderstand not quite to his level, but the fact that that fans were picking on him and they called him Mary, um, and and. It just wasn't fair. He he was a team player. He did wonderful things. Um,
1: Great crosser. Great crosser.
2: And I think because Sexton like, liked the clean cut, good people that didn't answer him back, that didn't give him any jip, he basically played him everywhere. Um, the John Sissons thing was a bit strange. I think. Well, we, that, that's
0: why that's why Houseman was at left back, wasn't it? Exactly. To accommodate Sissons um, I rubbish, can't remember.
2: Apparently. He uh, he played for West Ham, but I think we bought him from Norwich, or it might be the yeah. other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was and just he was a big
1: success with West Ham. He yeah, won his cup with West
2: Ham. Yeah, I think he played in the late sixties, didn't he? he Played in their in their cup winning team. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it it wasn't good. Oh. And I think the, the 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 thing was that, as a youngster, one naively thought that you know great signing David Hay, uh, newsstand everything was going to be different. And the fact that it was getting worse and worse, it just I don't I I can honestly say at that age I wasn't. I mean I, I you know times were were tough for everybody. You know um, that was a recession that hit all families, and I hit my family. And so money was a was a thing, and and football was escapism. So you didn't try this personally. I you know I didn't want to think about the money side of things. And and what guys and girls listening to us now, and I don't want to sound like an old git, but I am an old git. You know the fact is that the information you got at that time was from the newspaper, and there was nowhere else. I mean, basically, you don't you didn't have wall to wall coverage. On the radio, you didn't have obviously any sports channels on TV, and the only thing you got your information from was a newspaper, and there'd be an occasional article, and that would be it. I'd, one of the funniest things, and I don't know if it's been mentioned before, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's in Tim's book, but Frank McGee, who uh, wrote for the Daily Mirror at the time, said the East Stand is wonderful. The only problem with it is it's facing the pitch.
0: <laughs> yes, I remember. I remember reading that, and that was. Never truer than really the first kind of, you know, I mean, even though we'd we'd like, you know, won two, lost one and drawn one, we were clearly not playing very well. And then Liverpool turned up, who were a very good side, obviously, at the time, even though they were missing Keegan, of course, who was on his ban for getting into a scrap with Billy Bremner in the charity shield, I think, that that summer. Uh, But we we lost 3-0, but it could have been in double figures. Apparently, we were absolutely humiliated. Were either of you there at that game?
2: Uh, I can't remember being there, to be honest with you.
0: JK? Uh,
1: I was at uni at the time, so... All right, well... I was in and out. I may have been, but I, I'm You don't remember it. I don't remember it, no.
0: But, uh, yeah, we were poor. We were humiliated, really. And there was a, there, I, I think there was a sense, you know, I, because, you know, as ever with Chelsea, Mears and the press and everybody was saying, oh, you know, Chelsea, you've got a great squad and they can challenge the title again this year. I mean, they must have been smoking something. But really, there was a sense that that was the match that showed number one in fact there's a lovely phrase in in Tim's book that that was the day the dream died in other words this dream of having a uh, you know the stadium rebuilt completely like the stand uh, challenging for titles having great players on the pitch being this kind of great fancy entertaining you know 60 sorry uh, you know Chelsea kind of side of the area and everything else But really, that was the day that reality came home to roost, that actually our squad was utter rubbish. We weren't making any improvements on the pitch. Uh, It was the dying days of the Sexton regime, and there was absolutely no money because the East Stand had had crippled it. But there was another thing that really caught my eye, which again seemed to epitomise what happened in the Liverpool match. And there was a sense that all the players seemed to be buckling under this huge pressure that they had to succeed due to the fact that we were in such dire financial straits. And, you know, the only way we could get out of that was by getting success, that this kind of is a theme that comes back in the cup runs later in the year. But there was this, you know, Tim picks up this thing quite well in the book, that there was a tremendous pressure on the players, and they buckled under it, JK.
1: Well, yeah, I I always... I was at the Chelsea-Liverpool game. I realised I was. I hadn't gone. I, I, I always... Uh, I always think that was the presumption there that that was the, the writing was on the wall. I thought it was too soon. And as Clayton was saying, you always have that presumption that the, the season will somehow kickstart its way because it also there wasn't an era where if you started badly, um, you're you unlikely to win the title. Because, yeah. um it, it was, it was too well, Derby
0: difficult. ended up winning it, didn't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so there was still that thought that they'd keep going and they weren't fit enough and whatever. Um, but uh, uh, I think it—it's it, it as it, it, reality seemed to kick in a little bit later. I always still had had hope. You know, obviously the Carlisle game was a, was completely disastrous from a from a. I mean, as you say, proper Chelsea. You just think, oh well, here we go. There. I mean, but for a period, Carlisle, Carlisle were top of the league. At, for Carlisle, a,
2: Carlisle won their first three games.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a consequence, they were. Being heralded as um, as the great new team, and then who would have thought that by the end of the season they'd be relegated? Well, normal fact. Well, um,
0: unlike Chelsea, who you know, going beyond the Liverpool match, basically we uh, we we didn't win a home match for our first quite a few matches. We then went on a horrible run. We lost uh, away to Ipswich, who ended up being title challengers that season. We got absolutely thumped by Derby four-one away. They ended up winning the title. And then we had a next home match on September the 28th where we played Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers. And we lost 1-0. And and apparently, I mean, you know, I was going to say, apparently, according to those who were there, you you both may have been there, but apparently, again, judging from Tim's book, we were absolutely awful. And that's when, really, people started giving it Sexton out. Do you remember that, boys?
2: I I do remember that game. And the reason why I remember that game was it was, without doubt, and... How long had I been going for regularly? Only about three, four years. It was without doubt the worst game of football I'd ever seen. Yeah, that's it what people were saying. Absolutely, it was just dreadful, and and we managed to lose. And it was just awful. It I just couldn't. I was standing in the middle of the shed. I, I can't remember whether it was a midweek or a Saturday game, but it was raining, and it was just you just felt so low. And I, I think. As you say, that was like the third defeat on the bounce. Uh, we hadn't won at home since, I'd, or had we won at home? Well, we, we beat
0: Newport in the League Cup, but yeah, not but in the we League. we
2: hadn't won a league game at home, had we, by nope. then? Nope, And it was just beginning to, you were thinking, oh, my word. And I think the, the, the reality was dawning on us as to exactly how bad we were. Um, and I was, yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think I was bored by, Witless, I think it'd gone beyond the despair of losing. I it was just so poor,
0: Jonathan.
1: Um, I well, I think by then I was uh, I was up at university and um, you escaped it all, yeah. No, I, I, I the, the ticket was still there. Whether my dad had gone and he'd ring me and just say it was appalling. Um, uh, but I I, I think it was the season before it really. In, 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 you sort of slightly lost hope with with Hudson and Osgood going, and you could see it was everything was in tatters except the the weird form of Charlie Cook, who was yeah. uh, um, back to his best. And I I read a, a, a an interesting thing that in the book that he says he he meant he said himself that he'd actually been doing some extra training, which makes you realise that perhaps in the season before when he'd been transferred, he wasn't actually really. Training much, and I think he mentioned there were a lot of distractions at Chelsea, and I think he meant of the uh,
2: Osgood and Hudson and the yes. power
1: Yes, indeed, indeed, which I think they all fell foul yeah. ultimately. And mm. as I said before, that's why my despair with Osgood was such, as that uh, he, he would never be one of my favourite players, despite being unbelievably skillful, because of the 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 mayhem that he created within the club, which he did. You you've, you've got to actually say that. He contributed to uh, the malaise as well. You can you can point your fingers at players and you can point your fingers at the um, uh, at the board who I think behaved ludicrously. Um, but at the same time, uh, um, Os- Osgood's involvement must not be um, not on the back burner. It,
0: it's a good point. It's a very good uh, segue actually, because you know, basically, um, a mere matter of less than a week later, after a bit of protact- protracted musings in the press by Mears, Uh, Sexton finally got the tin tack. Um, And I mean, let's, you know, he'd been there for seven years. This was his eighth season. Up to that point, he was Chelsea's most successful manager ever. Um, And it all seemed to come to a very sad end. And in fact, it seemed to have been played out, as we know, for the last two or three years with huge rifts between him and the players, players acting out, best players going. But what, I mean, you know, Clayton, what, what do you think, Dave Sexton's legacy is really, you know. Do you think he was treated unfairly? Was it was it right that he went? Uh, you know, should should some effort have been made to to repair the damage between the relationship between him and Osgood and Hudson, who were clearly, I mean, Hudson went on to play for England and was bloody good. You know, not shortly after he went. So, I mean, what what's Dave's legacy? How should we view him as a Chelsea manager? Do you think? I,
2: th- I think it, I think it's a great legacy. I, I you know. I think that he was let down both by the players and the board. I think, he had no money. Yeah, I think the, the club was, was mismanaged. And when you basically, you, you win an FA Cup, you then win a Cup Winners' Cup and you get to the final of the League Cup, which you arguably should have won on the, you know, not necessarily on the day, but you should have won it in terms of who we were playing. Those things should have been built on. Rather than not, and so I think you know it's like it's like everything when things are going well, you've got loads of high regard and and I think he what he he was held with um, affection by the fans, but things were left adrift, and he wasn't allowed to um, to build his squad because there wasn't any money. so I think you know part of me thinks that perhaps he should have gone the season before and Osgood and Hudson, they should have brought in somebody to work with Osgood and Hudson
1: and Webb, Webb should have stayed of course.
2: Yeah. And Webb, um, and, and perhaps that would have been that, that may have arrested the curve. However, they were committed to the East stand. And and if you haven't got any money, you know, it's hard to know whether Osgood and Hudson would have stayed and played for somebody else. I mean, I, I heard last week, um, Rick was talking about maybe, you know, Clough would have come in. Well, that would, you know, that, that would have been sensational. Um, but would they have treated anybody else better? Dave Sexton was inherently a nice man. Mm. Um, and he was taken advantage of, I suspect, both by the club and by the players. Um, but for me, his legacy will always be a good legacy. It's not his fault um, that the finances went tits up um, and the and the club just plummeted.
0: Mm-hmm. Jonathan, I think that's a fair point. I think if, if Sexton was guilty of anything, it was, you know, he wasn't a very good communicator or a man-manager, but I mean, we all know he was a fantastic coach, and I actually think that, you know, it, it, I think Clayton's right, I think, I mean, it's easy to say this with, with you know, nearly 50 years worth of hindsight, but actually the be- the better option would have been to have rebuilt the team first, and then think about the stadium uh, because building that East Stand really killed it, because that just deprived Sexton of any funds necessary, and he needed to rebuild that team because they were already beginning to go past their peak in about seventy-one, seventy-two, weren't they?
1: Well, they needed to do an, an aspect of uh, of investment in the team and in the ground. They should have been much more uh, on the case as regards um, the the time of the time that the stadium was being built as well. They should have put. Uh, uh, the, the builders should have taken some of the responsibility because it was a bad time to build, which I think they could have had written into their contracts, as it was Chelsea just took absolute responsibility for deadlines and building. And They definitely...
2: missed out penalty clauses, didn't they, Chelsea?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The ludicrous... The contracts that were drawn up were absurd. And I also don't understand why there wasn't any other investment when it became apparent that uh, they were having to channel player sales into paying off the interest. It was a strange setup. You wondered whether even at this stage, there were some members of the board who perhaps had their eyes on selling the ground and making an enormous profit. It, it smacks of that to me, which of course began to unravel as the season's next few seasons went on. Um, because it it, it just, um, it was like a bugger's muddle. No, it wasn't it, <laughs> it beggared belief. It did the, yeah. the 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 absolute idiocy and i mean that some of the things that um, i remember that um that tim put in his book about how uh, there seemed to be competition between some of the board as to how lavish the spending could be from a, a social point of view um from a, uh, within their the restaurants because they at some stage the the chelsea restaurant was was unveiled to the general public called imaginatively Chelsea's, which you know you was was quite doing that, whoever came up with that. And um uh but I think the I think they had the opportunity, didn't they? The guy who put all the money into Palace came in and said, I'm willing to give you a large amount of money if you'll have me on the board, and he was rejected. So um the the complete lack of of planning, um uh foresight, um it it, it was if, if ever a club was going to disintegrate, this was absolutely the right way to do it. Um, and, and also, I think the dilemma for Sexton was that he was a very, very uh, um, free-thinking uh, novel coach um, in an era where Coaches just tended to get on with it and just say to the players, "Well, you know what to do." There's the pitch. Whereas he was, he'd go abroad and analyse other teams' ways of playing. And I think to go back to, to Hausman, the reason that he played Hausman at left back was he was attempting to use him as an overlapping fullback in an era where um, that hadn't even that wasn't really. Or Doherty did it to an extent, but it wasn't the the norm to have the fullback nipping up the wing. Um, and Sisson's moving inside, and I have to say, when Sissons first played for Chelsea, I actually thought, "Wow, great, it's Johnny Sisson."s Of course, forgetting that he was about 32 and had hardly played. And uh, when he did play, looked like a uh, a wheezing uh, gut bucket. No, I've just made that up. I don't know what that means. But anyway, but he looked a bit bit, bit uh, out of his depth. But that was, I think, the thinking behind Hausman playing there. But of course, he'd never played fullback, and was. I remember, I remember watching him play fullback and thinking you can't do this, and of course he got the bird more and more, poor old, Mm. poor old husband, as a consequence. But um, uh, to answer, to carry on with your question, I think, I think they, the, the board were, were hugely to blame. Poor old Sexton couldn't cope with the, the, the personalities of the, in fact, the personalities of the flair players were, were what he couldn't actually deal with that. Because when he went to Queen's Park Rangers, of course, he had Stanley Bowles as a flair player. And he was quite happy to see him play, as well as having a balance. He had Thomas on the wing for Queen's Park Rangers as well. He was a fantastic player. And I have to say that I hate to to admit it, I watched Rangers several times in that season when they were uh, under Sexton. And they were terrific. And Sexton, having been at Chelsea, went to Rangers. And his tactics were absolutely superb, as they were a lot of the time. He's always trying to implement things didn't have the players to do it. And I think actually the Weller situation where it all fell apart, as we discussed, it before, discussed before, I think it was either Weller or Harris that had to go because of the, the fact that they'd had a big fight. And I think he was prone to trying to get rid of players because he couldn't deal with them. And I think at that stage, the club should actually have got a personality manager in and stopped it. And they should have bought, uh, they bought what was the other bit? Hay, for example, we talked about David Hay. David Hay was dreadful all year. Dreadful. I remember watching him and thinking, two hundred and fifty thousand. You've spent it on him. He's he can't play play midfield. He started playing him at centre half. He was okay. He was never, never good enough. But Se- Sexton didn't buy him. They reckon. No, no, indeed, indeed, the board bought him. Yeah. Well, mm. ridiculous. When they needed, they needed to be shored up in so many other positions. Locke was excellent at fullback, left back. They didn't have anybody. They got rid of Mulligan. Um, no one was was right wing well right back wasn't he um didn't have anybody that's why he was struggling there he put sparrow there sparrow never ever made it
0: well let's 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 walk before yeah. we run I mean, we'll we'll get to johnny sparrow in, a little... but, uh... in fact we ought to we ought to have a break uh because uh, we've got plenty more to talk about after the break uh including it, it kind of all gets a lot worse i i hate to tell you after the break culminating in i mean a match that as i said even though i hadn't found my way to chelsea even i was aware of this match the battle of white hart lane and then subsequently relegation but, uh, but there you go um now well if you if you enjoy kind of hearing about this era of chelsea and some of the players involved then i can do nothing better than commend you to the chelsea special because i did a load of interviews with some of the players who featured in this um including uh, johnny boyle tommy uh chopper harris of course uh, and also as well as that carry dixon bobby tamling two of our greatest ever goal scorers and uh, Johnny Bumstead and Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Paul Cannell from the, the, the later years, the 80s in particular. And they are absolutely riveting. These guys know their onions and, and recall this, this time brilliantly and with a lot of affection. And they're easy to get hold of. You can download them all at Uh There's a small charge of £2.99p for each one which uh, covers the cost of producing them. Uh, simply subscribe to Podbean as I said, chelseyspecial.podbean.com and uh, click on Buy single episode when you get to the home page and then you can listen to or download uh, any episode you want. And, of course, there's a website, chelseaspecial.com, Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and Facebook, The Chelsea Special. So there you go. Right, we'll be back talking about more doom and gloom from Chelsea's annals after the break. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd
1: be bereft. Inconsolable.
0: fans real opinions I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea football fancast up the Chelsea
2: footballfancast.com
0: Uh, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, we are looking back in our 50 years of Chelsea series to um, the 1973, sorry, 74-75 season. And uh, David Sexton's uh, kind of been given the tin tack, and they they put in uh, Ron Sewart. And uh, interestingly, Eddie McCready, who who had obviously stopped playing for us only only very recently, and and was the captain, in fact. He's now made the first, uh, the the assistant, well, first team coach or assistant manager, depending on how you view it. Um, but I'm afraid things do not really change for the better. I mean, actually, their form picked up, and it seems to me, I mean, there's nothing like a one nil win against Tottenham, Clayton, to get things back uh, going back in the right direction. But uh, we then had this kind of awful kind of uh, series of matches against Stoke City. Uh, in the league cup we had to play them three times because of a replay and this is the third time we've played stoke in the league cup in three seasons and horror upon horror uh we got knocked out by stoke city in the most inglorious fashion uh in october losing 6-2 do you remember that
2: yeah i do I, uh, not because i was there because it was away it was midweek and obviously i was still at school um but this was in the days of endless replays, uh, which happened both in the FA Cup and in the League Cup. And, and basically, we drew at home to all. And then we drew away one all um, after extra time. And then the th- from out of nowhere, we suddenly then get thumped 6-2, which is bizarre. Um, so that was the League Cup done in the sort of second round as far as we were concerned. And then lo and behold, if we didn't have to then bloody play them again on the Saturday, yeah, in the league, which was absolutely um, it, was sick of the sight of them. But it was it was quite interesting because it was one of the games I remember, and it was quite interesting to refresh my memory on YouTube. And what was the most ironic thing is, is basically we went one 0 down, and it was one all, two one down, three two down, and it was great because we kept coming back, and we we. You know we equalized and and sort of scored right at the end, but the, the huge irony, and I hadn't really thought about this till I was watching it on YouTube, was the first two goals were from long throws from Ian Hutchinson, which were eventually bundled in um, to the net, which is absolutely hysterical. Seeing all those years I used to sit there tutting at um, Rory de lapp, you know, hurling in long throws. And boring us all to death, um, but that—that that was how poor we were. Um, I do think it's absolutely hysterical in in what was yet another, you know, a really awful season that we still managed to beat Spurs at home, as you say, for our first uh, league win of the season at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just—it was at that time we weren't. You could tell we we were just a side in 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 just massive decline, and, and we weren't very good at all. Um, but at least we showed a bit of spirit that afternoon.
0: Well, actually, that that's the thing. I mean, you know, that was actually that that 6-2 defeat uh, to Stoke in the League Cup was was the first defeat uh, for Ron Seward and Eddie McCready. So they they had shored things up, but it was a weeny bit agricultural. In fact, actually, from what I recall, people kept moaning about Chelsea kicking lumps out of... Of everybody, so they'd got they'd got the spirit back, but I think you're right. I mean, the I'm reality sure Eddie
2: was Eddie had nothing to do with that,
0: none at all. <laughs> but that you know, as I said, they have got the spirit back, but the reality was they just weren't good enough. Right. And uh, but even by this stage of the season, which we're not even at Christmas, and people are already talking about relegation because, I mean, actually the interesting thing was I looked at um, the league table and uh, there were three there were three uh, London teams. Uh, in the relegation zone, Tottenham, Arsenal, and Chelsea, which is also almost unprecedented, wasn't it, J.K.?
1: Yes, everybody was suffering from um, ineptitude at that uh, stage of their uh, of their history. Um, uh, I think Spurs had been uh, were descending, weren't they? They'd had quite a decent uh, decent run. Or was it? But when did they when did they get into the um, UEFA final? Year before, I think. Oh, that's right. So, therefore, it was slightly a bit of a shock that they were doing so badly, um, but they had quite a decent side Spurs, and uh, I can't remember the. Uh, I can't remember Arsenal having a great side. I not even the season before. I think it was more predictable that well, Arsenal. Yeah, because they weren't playing very well. I
0: but they have won the double in, 71, double in 71. and the F- they were in the FA Cup final in seventy two. But it's really interesting, isn't it, how quickly teams. You know, fell from grace in those days. I mean, even, even Leeds, who won the title the year before, and then Clough tried to kill them. And they, I mean, really early on in the season, I mean, I saw one of the tables that Tim has reproduced, and you had Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, and Leeds all at the bottom. Which you know, we, and we were above them actually, so it made it made really pleasant reading. But uh, sadly, it didn't it didn't stay that way. I'm just going to read this quote out because I just just talking about the spirit that was reinvigorated by Seward and uh, McCready. This is about Ron Harris, who was needing the ribs and was coughing up blood and vomiting at half time. He played the second half despite Chelsea jo- doctor John Vise telling him at the interval, "If you go back, you're taking your life into your hands." Now, it was a suspected punctured lung, but an x-ray showed it turned out to be deep chest bruising. So, have you ever wondered about Ron Harris's commitment to Chelsea? You know, he often famous says he'd walk through a brick wall for the club. I mean, that, that's just borderline insane, isn't it? Fantastic, though, Clayton.
2: Yeah, but that, that that doesn't come as much of a surprise, really. I mean, he was a consistent contributor you know, I I think it's like anybody. He his form suffered with the team, and you know, and he was Mr. Chelsea. You know, Youth Cup winning captain, FA Cup winning captain. He'd been there his whole life, um, and it, it, he he just saw players around him getting worse and worse, and, and consequently his formed it. But you he could never to, ever.
1: Lost his sell by date at that time as well. Yeah, wasn't it, really?
2: he was. He was. He was on the decline as well. But you could never. Never ever. You know, it's it's like people modern day equivalent, not in terms of how they play, but however much Cesar Asby Lequeta gets it in the neck from fans, which he does a lot, unfairly, you could never I've never ever seen him give up. I've never seen him give anything less than a hundred percent. Sometimes that isn't good enough. But Harris was the same you'd never ever say to him oh no. you know he took the day off there didn't he wasn't true he he was really yeah I mean that that story sums him up to be honest
1: he'd be found out occasionally I was reading something about that's somebody saying that that one of the reasons that also one should praise him is the fact that he's hardly ever been out of the side his consistency with always being somebody to to uh to have there, and he's not injured, is his, his playing through pain as well is very similar to the kind of commitment that Harris,
2: yeah, really absolutely, made. Yeah.
1: Anyway, as it rolls on,
0: uh, you know, basically, we end up getting knocked out of the cup by Birmingham at home 1 0 uh, in January. So, basically, by now, we're in the relegation zone, we're out of the league cup, we're out of the FA Cup, which has a massive ramification on the club because, of course, Mears was hoping to. Generate a lot of cash, much needed cash, by an extended uh, run in the uh, FA Cup. There's a wonderful description of him chain smoking throughout matches, looking, looking, you know, horrified at the whole proceedings that were were, were unfolding. Were either of you at the the Cup match against Birmingham?
2: Yeah, horrible. Was it horrible? Yeah.
0: But there was something even more horrible, which actually, funnily enough, um, came into view. Uh, after we got thumped by Man City last uh, a couple of seasons. It was Sarri, wasn't it? So I mean, last season, when we went to Wolverhampton Wanderers, who were only in mid-table, actually, although seemed to have the, like Stoke, had the Indian sign on us for a while, but we lost 7-1 away to Wolverhampton Wanderers on the 15th of March, That's 1975.
1: Good players. good players, Wolves. John Richards. Indon was a fantastic winger.
2: Was this the game where they scored seven goals in about 30 minutes? Was Something it nil-nil like nil at half-time?
0: Might well have been. I think that was Newcastle when we lost 5-0. The nil-nil up there at half-time and then it, we just capitulated. But this was just awful. I just wondered, I mean, there's, there's, there's no significance to the match whatsoever other than the fact that it's our biggest loss for a long time. And I just wondered what you remember about that because you would have been very much in touch with that at the time. Either of you remember it? What were your kind of re- reactions to it?
1: Well, I, now, remember, I remember the score, but I, 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 um, I'm afraid by then my enthusiasm for the season had waned. Um, but that,
2: that, that was. Loyal
1: supporter. Yes. No, but I, that, that's
2: going no, back to what no. I was saying. You know, if it wasn't on match of the day or yes. the big match and you, it was just like a column inch. Yeah. Th- those things just don't leave any impression. I don't. How lucky. I know. I, I you know, you just had to sort of be depressed and look at the paper and just, I think, you know, I can't remember whether the old teleprinter was going then. You know, you used to watch that on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but I don't remember, I I, I don't specifically remember that. Um, but I do, I was at the next game. I was at the QPR game that we lost 1-0. Yeah, I
1: think at, I was there as well. Yeah. At
2: Loftus Road. Um and because it was a London derby, no other reason, there was no reason to want to go to anything at that time. Um, but I just, I mean, before we come on to the denouement, I, I just think it's typical Chelsea, you know, just looking at the scores that season, we're all a bit bizarre. I mean, we won at Arsenal, we won at West Ham, just, and we drew at Liverpool, who were second. So, you know, and hopefully, if you look at it, we sort of... Well, I was going to say, title. I mean-
0: the, the day, the day, a day after losing to Wolves seven one, uh, we were in sixteenth place, right? Remember, three went down, so nineteen. Hang on, what was it twenty, twenty one, twenty two? We're in sixteenth place. We're seven points clear of relegation. So basically, everything was to play for. We, sh- you know, and and our running wasn't too bad, you know. So conceivably, we we could get out of the shit, yeah. and then. It all goes very horribly wrong because basically um, Ron Seward gets the uh, not he gets kind of bumped upstairs really, doesn't he? Uh and uh what was the match that precipitated it? Basically it was yeah, that's right. We lost we lost to guess what? We lost to Stoke again. This is now in April, beginning of April. And then we lost to Man City, uh one nil at home. Do you remember that, either of you either of you? No. No?
2: No.
0: Okay, well, now now we're in the shit properly. We're now uh, basically a point... uh, I think we're on equal points with Spurs. Here we go, yeah. We're now in 19th on 31 points and Spurs are 20th on 30 points. All right? We've got Spurs away. We've got Sheffield United at home and Everton at home. Those were our last three matches. So we're now going to White Hart Lane, which is widely touted as... Uh, a relegation decider Ron Seward's been bumped upstairs Eddie Mack's been made the manager and he decides to make some massive changes for arguably the most important game that Chelsea have had for 15 years and he makes Ray Wilkins the captain of course Ray had come in earlier in the season he's had quite a number of games this season and and started to make something of an impact Uh, and he replaces John Hollins as captain who is also by the way dropped and then sees it as the end of his Chelsea career and pretty much it was
1: only 28 only
0: 28 I know which I I, I forgot how young he was I mean I know he went he then went off to QPR and Arsenal didn't he and and you know before he came back to us um but yeah I forget how young he was they did they did say it was an interesting point about Hollins they said that he did see he had slowed down a bit but he changed his game he was a more thoughtful player as he got older and, and, and directing traffic more than that bustling player that I remember seeing footage of earlier on in his career. So anyway, we're go going up to White Hart Lane uh, for what is technically a relegation decider with a team managed by Eddie Mack who's basically bunged in the youth at the expense of the uh, experienced players. Uh, and interestingly enough, you know, Seward had, had basically you know backed his his call on putting the experienced players in beforehand and they had kind of somewhat let him down there was a sense that they're just jacked it in really so you can see that eddie mack made the right decision in some respects but for a huge game like that clayton you were there set the scene well i've set the scene tell us what happened
2: well um i went with my tottenham supporting uncle sat in the old west stand um, and as I think I, I mentioned on a previous um, appearance on the pod, um, there was the most unbelievable crowd trouble. And I mean, you think you've seen crowd trouble, but you haven't. This was a pitched battle on on the pitch itself. It was just, <laughs> it was just the most pitched battle on the pitch. It was the most extraordinary thing. There is a very very small snippet on YouTube,
1: yeah. uh,
2: which I beseech you. To, to watch because you can then get some idea. I mean, the pitch was covered. I mean, I, I, I kid you not, The it was absolutely covered with people um, whacking seven bells out of each other, which is just incomprehensible now. I mean, you know, if you get the occasional Herbert that runs onto the pitch these days, you know, people have a seizure. But then it was just I mean, it, it was the atmosphere was horrible. Um... There were over fifty thousand there. I know that, um, and it was, and as I described previously, the the most bizarre thing at five to three, out comes Jack Taylor with a ball um, in his hand, marching towards the centre circle, puts the ball down as as the police eventually get the um, get the pitch clear, and it was just, it, it, well, as I say these days you it's hard to imagine a scene like it but anyway the the point was that i i was so excited to see ray wilkins as captain that day um i mean it was obviously very nervous and we didn't want to lose etc etc having refreshed um my memory by looking at the uh, the big match highlights we were so unlucky that day yeah and it is just extraordinary um I remember, I remember we lost. I remember we lost 2-0, obviously. I remember Alfie Conn scored one of the goals who they bought from Glasgow Rangers, who was sort of like a poor man's George Best. Um, I mean, in the first half, Pat Jennings made two saves, one of which was just world-class. I had this real dilemma because I obviously... Disliked Tottenham with every sinews in my body, but I loved goalkeepers. And Pat Jennings was just about one of the greatest goalkeepers I've ever seen. Um, so, That
0: save from Hodge
2: was extraordinary.
0: Point blank. Point from that blank and it, header. And it, I watched it t- this afternoon, yeah. that header. It was one of those headers where he, he didn't just let the ball hit his head. He led yeah. back and absolutely hammered it with I his know. head, didn't he?
2: And pe- uh, People should watch it. It and was behind
0: him when I he know. tipped
2: it over. I know. He, he was that sort of guy. One of the greatest saves I've ever seen was I saw uh, a save he made when he was playing for Tottenham at Highbury. Um, and it was a header from, I think it might have been Alan Ball, from just six yards out. Had absolutely no right to get the ball. Um, just a phenomenal goalkeeper. So, the save from Hutch, uh, we had a disallowed goal for handball, which I'd say was 50 50, could have gone either way. Um, and so we went in a half time nil nil, should have basically um, been leading. Spurs did nothing. I think John Phillips made one save just before half time. Second half was fairly even. Um, They scored a goal from a breakaway, which, um, poor marking. Uh, But again, it was mostly us on the attack. And then I can't remember if it was 1-0 or 2-0, but but Ray Wilkins missed an open goal. It was such a shame. Um, And then we had another goal disallowed, which I think on the basis that Mickey Droy completely pummeled Pat Jennings. (laughs) Um, I think you could get away with that. And then um, from a corner, Alfie that scored their second goal, um, which was actually quite reminiscent, not in the build-up, but the, the strike that Marcus Alonso had this season against Spurs at home. It was from that sort of area. Um, and that was it. But, I, I, I mean, it was, it was a very memorable day for all sorts of reasons. But I think that, you know, the general misconception is that that sent us yeah. down. It didn't, but we had two home games um, against two sides, albeit they were in the top five, six in the table. But on the basis, we went down by a point. If we would have won either one of those games,
0: well, if we'd have drawn against Tottenham, yeah, because if we'd have drawn against yeah. Tottenham, they'd have had you know thirty three points. We'd have had thirty four. Yeah, e- even even by the fact that we did draw against Sheffield United at home and Everton at home, and as you say, both winnable games. So. Yeah. Appalling that we didn't manage to squeeze a result out of either of those two. But you're right. If understand. we'd have drawn against Tottenham, they'd have gone down, not us. Jk.
1: Do so you think with them we'd have been relegated the following year? Yes, <laughs> no, because <they laughs> well, were so- Spurs were.
2: Two, two Spurs years were,
0: weren't they?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it exactly. was so poor. I mean, I, I keep going on about the David Hayes signing. I just didn't get it. They, they, they he had a cataract operation soon afterwards. Yeah. Apparently hadn't recovered from the World Cup, and he didn't because his season started. But the excuses for this supposed fantastic player was just—I just used to watch him every game and go, "What, what, what have we bought here?" The dreadful thing, you know, you're trying to get behind <coughs> the team. I mean, the dilemma I've got with all of these games, of course, is I've—and and, uh, all my programmes are in storage. If I. Um, uh, I discover I probably went to lots of these games. I've just completely forgotten all about them i mean for, for very for deliberately in many reasons because of the pain I can't you know some of these watching them just just dribble away or just play dreadfully i mean, what I was impressed about with the the Tottenham game, even in the little clips I saw um on on the big match, was how good Wilkins was oh was quite, brilliant quite remarkably uh, on the ball and the Chelsea's ability to create this these odd players like Hudson and not take advantage of the situation they're playing yeah. out of the Locke was a really terrific forward.
2: yeah agreed yet,
1: as we said last week Chich he, he should have played for England but he was surrounded by real mediocrity unfortunately getting onto it was sparrow tried his heart out never quite up to it Britain similarly Bus, constantly bustling, you've got to give it to him for effort, but was never quite good enough. And in fact, the I actually the Jennings save that um, from Wilkins through pass to uh, to Britain's Britain yeah. shot, I thought was as equally brilliant. Actually, I thought because he was uh, many other goalkeepers now would got nowhere near it because he hit it really well, Britain very low, but he just has huge hands that he had. Talking of huge hands, there's a lovely moment in that clip where. Um, Jack Taylor books Locke at the very beginning, and um, and it's in close up, and he says to him, name, and uh, Locke clearly is slightly slightly pink uh, by being asked this and <laughs> something, and he actually goes in close up, what? Like then you can see Locke going, and you think it's an era where referees didn't, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't. Here, Gary, don't do that again. I'm gonna have to take your name, mate. Yeah, off you go. Was not of that it was. You scum of the earth, come over here. You know who are you? I don't know who you are. I'm going to send you off if you carry on. There was a kind of power that the referees had in those, particularly Taylor. My goodness.
2: He he, but he, he refereed the World Cup final, didn't he that year? He did
1: he did? 1974. Yeah, yeah. And he hadn't he done the? Uh,
2: he gave he gave Germany or no, he gave Holland a penalty right, against West minute. Germany in West Germany in the first minute of the final.
1: Yeah, but they still, big balls they, they won those, so it didn't matter. obviously any. um big balls. but what i also loved about that spurs game was the fact that we wore change kit of just yeah the, the, socks. the socks lovely socks weren't they great socks yeah but i mean i wouldn't i'm not suggesting we ever get rid of the white because that's so traditional i love it but that was a blue with the red flashing red and black tops really yeah. Really, uh I, I never, very rangers yeah indeed well there's there's always that hint of that um uh, and also, the lovely thing about watching the game, and I, I try to explain to people the, the fact the body shape was so different in the players because they didn't really work out in the same way. They didn't have diets or or setups that allowed them to to become Greek gods. You know, so they're all little little wiry blokes with this huge hair. Britain was on his way to that bizarre kind of tea cosy thing that went outside of his head. You know. You had the following season,
0: <laughs> or they looked like they walked off the set of the suite, yeah, you know, didn't they? With
1: those really kind of straight, kind of round head haircuts and few, cuts, huge weird bits that hung down, yeah. Well, yeah. Con was an example, bizarre, thick, kind of lion like mutton chops, yeah, with huge, bloody great things. That I think you've very ugly history. bloke, I thought. Like but Alfie he'd, Con, yeah, it cut your face if you had physical contact uh, with him. Um, uh, and, and what else? Um uh, it was interesting seeing Cook as well, just playing out of his skin.
0: Well, he had a real Indian summer, didn't he? Because yeah, of course we'd brought him back from Palace, and and he was now 32, and he was actually he got back on the Scotland side, didn't he that he season?
1: Picked. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, he in fact uh, I think he brought them back from a game, didn't he? Because who else did they pick? They picked um, Hey David Hey Hey, yeah. uh, and and they he, they were annoyed because Stewart and McCready wanted them to play in a. You know, have extra training for another game um another thing which you look know, was those for, for people who have no idea about this in in order to give half-time results they'd have numbers they would have letters around the pitch it'd always be a part of the ground that was this kind of that scoreboard thing they have one at chelsea in the um next to the north stand where you just have a letter which corresponded to a letter in the program of the match of the team and then somebody would just put the half-time scores with numbers against them and there's a there's a lovely one of that on just underneath one of the, the stand probably the West Stand at Spurs. Um and the other thing I, I'm I'm intrigued about that this era is the everybody had a scarf in the in the crowd. So you'd always have um any exhortation, From the scene, everybody would either have it on your wrist, but no, well, people would get it out and hold it aloft. So you'd there
2: do, there was yeah, there there was basically there was a You'll Never Walk Alone from the Spurs fans in yeah. in the Paxton. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically there was a, I remember watching a, a, a YouTube with with Charlie and, and we were singing You'll Never Walk Alone in the 70s. And I was yeah. going, <clears throat> <and we> just, <laughs> just fast forward that.
1: It was like a weird generic. You know, it was we're we're behind you song, which suddenly got embraced by Liverpool in a way I never understood because everybody sang it. It was just a song from a musical that somebody thought that's a good. It was a bit like um, we shall not be moved. Everybody sang that. Mm -hmm. But it was quite
2: quite funny. You talk about everybody having scarves in that fight on the pitch when I was like watching it. I was actually thinking there weren't that many people wearing colours. As it were, you're quite right. I mean, I had the old silk scarf and the woolen scarf wrapped round the wrist and all that, that nonsense. But the interesting thing is, nobody wore shirts.
1: No, no, well, they weren't. The clubs hadn't got their yep. whole organizing thing together. No, but get shirts. You could got one. I remember because I got a, a couple. I got my dad bought me one. But once again, that was from Frank Bluntston's shop, which appeared to be the focus for that. Yeah, he would have them. And Lavender course, Hill. Indeed, absolutely. And I got my. My 1966 um, Inter Milan colour for the sh- for the semi final and wore that up to the semi final. Of course, they got beaten two 0 by Sheffield Wednesday and they wore.
2: That but they were. I remember getting a Chelsea shirt, but my mum had to sew the badge on because yeah, they yeah, didn't they was... didn't come together. You had to buy the shirt, the royal blue Umbro shirt or whatever it was then, and you had to buy the the badge and sew it on separately.
1: And the white stripe as well, you put on the side of the shorts. You had to buy that as well. <laughs> Mad. That's
0: brilliant. Um, just to kind of wrap wrap this all up, um, you know, contrary to Jonathan's popular opinion, we, we didn't get relegated because we bought David Hay. Although he, <laughs> he, 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 it would be lovely to pin it on him. It would be lovely to pin it. Fifty thousand, they could have bought. I know. Three players. Well, that that's a very good point. I'm not not disagreeing with it entirely. But I mean, if I just read this out to you, this this tells us why we went down. We conceded seventy two goals, which was the equal worse in the division. Um, but we were equally rubbish up front. Hutch was the the top scorer with seven goals. <laughs> right, we we got eight points from our last fourteen games. You know, this is why we got relegated. And 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 again, there was a lot. I'm sure you, I know you've both read Tim's book. I mean, we all have. It's such a great piece of work. And th- this this phrase uh, kind of came out at me towards the end of that chapter and And it kind of picks up on what what you were saying, Jonathan, which was if we had a survive, we would have probably gone down the next season because things weren't getting any better, but there was a sentence in there that said, perhaps it was better to lance the boil and kind of submit to the inevitable in other words to get get it over and done with now, and as we'll see next week, in some respects in some respects that that was that was not far from what happened. Uh, but i'm going to wait until next week to describe that the only thing i other thing i will add is that uh you know given that the club financially needed a capacity you know a, a, an average crowd size of 35,000 throughout the season to break even we hit 27,380 so that was well below what they needed to break even which had a further impact on the finances but the other interesting thing and this has to be put in context uh, you know crowds at, at, at the football grounds in england were declining massively in that period, which I think was a combination of both hooliganism but also the economy, which is absolutely in the toilet, wasn't it, Clayton?
2: Absolutely. I remember um, I went to – because in those days um, you could pay on the door and so you went to games with schoolmates and so consequently I went to games because it was obviously Saturday and I went to see Arsenal play on alternate Saturdays because I went with an Arsenal mate and then I one Saturday I went to see QPR play Derby and I remember my mum going absolutely mental about the fact that I was wasting money by going to football to go and see a game where my team wasn't playing so money money was tight then, and it, it, was a, it was quite a depressing time, especially during the power cuts and the three-day week and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that the... Uh, yes, it was the economy, but I do think the hooliganism had a huge impact on attendances because it really... I, I mean, that Spurs thing was obviously the zenith of the hooliganism. But going to and from games... I mean, it was not nice. I mean, if you lived in London and you sort of get in the tube, in I'd come home from a Chelsea game, bedecked in my scarves and what have you, and then you know Arsenal be playing at home, and you'd get a you get a kicking. You know, it, it was it really wasn't very nice. So I think that that had a lot to do with the declining attendances.
1: Mm-hmm. You were very brave because I gave up wearing the colours just for that very reason.
2: Well, I I'm... gave up wearing them after I got a kick in.
1: Yeah, no, I got I got <laughs> my my school colours were black and white. I remember wearing my school scarf and being beaten up by Chelsea fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they I got kicked twice very hard by a bloke saying yeah. full I said I'm not for I'm not I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm like, ow, ow, ow. And then before I legged it rather pathetically. Yeah.
0: Well, there we go. Well we're gonna have to leg it out of this part. Uh hopefully not quite as pathetically. Um, But before we do, just a reminder that on Fridays we've got our My Chelsea series. Jonathan and Clayton have both done theirs. We had Marco last week. Uh, You may have to put up with me this Friday unless I can find somebody else to go in the hot seat. Uh, But they're great fun, fun, as I know the boys will attest to. And uh, if you're stuck for other things to listen to, uh, we can commend you to Alex Churchill, the girl who likes balls, wonderful history hack. Uh, and she's done some amazing stuff she's got some incredible people on like the cast of band of brothers the cast of sharp cast of hornblower all talking about those periods in history and you can find that at historyhack.podbean.com now after the break uh, we got oodles of emails to read out the joy the joy
1: real fans real opinions I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. FootballFancast.com.
0: Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, it's now time for the uh, kind of Jonathan stroke Chelsea Fancast version of Jack and That's one for the teenagers. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, first honour befalls to you, Jonathan, and it is James Gooden again.
1: James Gooden. He's a Gooden. you never heard of He that. is. Lovely bloke. You were almost begging for emails this week. I he was. was. He was. It was a beggar's muddle. You're almost begging for emails. <laughs> have a few few more memories. 72, 73. Ooh, 14 years old, still at boarding school, now old enough to go to matches with mates rather than just with my father. Going away to Arsenal, being at the clock end turnstiles before they even opened, having to keep my head down on the tube after the game as the carriage seemed to be full of nothing but Arsenal supporting skinheads. (gasps) Singing, Garner is a wanker away at South (laughs) End, only for him to be a Chelsea player. You sure it
0: was? was, Sorry, John, are you sure it was Arsenal fans singing that?
1: (laughs) Um, Only a Chelsea player by the time we played West Ham at home three days later. Going on a football special for the first time, getting split up from my father on the terraces at Norwich during the Fog game. Happily, we met up at Norwich Station afterwards. Being driven down to Brighton by my mother for the FA Cup game on condition that my mates and I toured the Brighton Pavilion before the game, so the outing wasn't completely culture-free and being followed all the way round by a security guard. (laughs) 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 Thinks thinks we're going to be up to no good. And of course, I remember doing that and going, we don't, turning back at him, we don't do this kind of thing, Mr. Security Guard. No, we're posh boys. No, no. And then running and playing tag and being thrown out. Um, uh, Where are we? Um, uh, Mother then went for a wander around antique shops while we went to the match, being collected by my father at 12.30 after Saturday morning lessons near Oxford on the day of the Arsenal quarter final, then having to be driven straight back again afterwards, as I had a Saturday detention at 6.30. (laughs) Worth it for Aussie's wonder goal. Getting ejected from Selhurst Park as Palace beat another London club for the first time ever in the top division. 73-74. I must have deleted this season from my memory as the only game I have memories from is the 4-2 defeat to West Ham on Boxing Day. There was a massive punch-up, which I hid from on the Fulham Road after the game. Yeah, to echo your point, Clayton, they were just constant. Punch, punch, punches up. Punch-ups. Looking forward with mixed feelings to 74-75 next week. Now at a London sixth form college, I went to every home game and a few aways, including the Battle of White Hart Lane. The comeback from 2-0 down late on at home to Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup to win 3-2 was a rare highlight. Highlight. My mates left at 2-0. Stay safe, James.
0: Brilliant! That segues so brilliantly from what we've just been talking about, Absolutely, hasn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Well done, James. And I hope you're well, mate, and uh, your lovely lady. Uh, they were on the uh, the uh, World War One battlefield trip I we all went on. Saying yeah, great, great fun. Right, this is from our mate Daryl Middleditch, uh, one of my partners in crime from the Who Knows Wins thing, which sadly bit the dust, thanks to no football being played. Uh, Good evening, guys. Hope you're all well and staying safe. Absolutely loving the retro look back at the seasons and the My Chelsea series. It's a dream to hear such fond memories from the contributors. Please feel free not to read this out or cut it. It goes on a bit, and I know you, you spoke of it last week. Me? I'd never moan about the length. Never mind the quality, feel the length, I always say. Uh, To the crux of the email, this really is a JK-style transfer rumour rant, mainly towards those still insisting that there's a possible solution to get the football season going again. I could not give a flying fuck should there not be another ball kick this season and possibly all year, and the whole thing is voided. Give Liverpool the title. Who cares? 2020 will not be remembered for the year they won the Premier League title. Good point. At the top of the shit heap is the Premier League, who've appointed a banker as a chairman. Says it all, really. People are dying in their thousands, and all those greedy bastards can think of is avoiding repayments to TV companies and their continuation to turn football into nothing but a corporate jolly for the day. The Dutch and French have already said enough is enough. There are far greater things to deal with than football finishing probably more by the time of reading this. There is there is no safe option, even behind closed doors. And who's to say supporters won't turn up to the grounds anyway? If one person in, that's inside the stadium tests positive for COVID, it's shut down, or heaven forbid, dies. The ramification of lawsuits may well destroy the Premier League and the government for allowing close contact sport during a pandemic. The general public will see a restart of football as a green light to break lockdown, if they can, I can, attitude. For the love of God, people, this cannot happen until there's a vaccine, and only after all frontline workers have had it first. Shankly said uh, said what he said, but we now know it's really not. That's uh, football being more important than life and uh, life and death. So, Premier League, take your head out of the accounts books and take a look around a visit to a hospital. Talk to the nurses and doctors. See if they want football to return. I miss football as much as the next person. A Saturday at the bridge with my daughter are days I look forward to and want to look forward to again. So stay at home, get through this, and we'll honour those that have passed at the first game, game back, but only when it's absolutely safe to do so. One huge positive from all of this is our beloved Chelsea FC, who from the start done nothing but give and help out those that need it. When the dust settles from this, Chelsea will be one of the very few corporations that can hold their head high and said we did what we thought was right and the man at the top should be lauded for it. But Roman's not even allowed to be uh, in the country for more than 90 days, yet gives all he can. But let's face it, it's always been fashionable to hate on us. Sorry it went on, guys, but my Twitter feed is annoying me. And I can't be asked to argue with idiots spouting scenarios of football's return or transfers. So there, I ranted here. Keep the blue flag flying high, up the chelsea stay safe, Daryl Middleditch. Uh, are you sure you didn't write that one, Jonathan?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he. I agree with every word.
0: Yeah, me too, mate. Clayton was saying much the same at the beginning of the show, weren't you, mate? I mean, it's it's stupid thinking otherwise, really.
2: It's it's beyond well. I do understand why people are trying to get it done, but I just, I it, it can't happen. It mustn't happen. It really mustn't.
0: Indeed. Um, unless Clayton would like to read one if he's able to, uh, as in he's got it in front of him, not that he can't read. Uh, it's up to you, Clayton.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. You are um, for one? Yeah, this is from Steve Rollison. Hi, Chidge. I listened to the Tony Glover episode, Driving Home from Work. An hour's drive from a country town to my home on the coast. My God, it felt like 10 minutes and I was gasping for more. (laughs) Tony must be a few years younger than me. I'm 1960, but has the advantage of growing up in the greater London area. I've shared with the panel previously that although coming from the UK, I had family from Chelsea Fulham and a grandfather who followed Chelsea for his whole life. Seeing their first match in 1905, wow. Wow. I watched the Triumph over Leeds yeah. in 1970 with Grandad in the front room. Watching my early heroes, Charlie Kirk, Ozzy Chopper, Peter Houseman. I love the way Houseman seemed to stroll. I suppose a bit like George Graham. I always think of them together. That's so strange.
0: Stroller Graham? Yeah. Uh,
2: one day in 1965, my brother, who's 15 years older than me, was leaving to play football on the Common at Riverhead, Kent, and he showed me sixpence and said the magic words, I'll bet you sixpence, Wolves, brackets, his team, brackets, beat Chelsea this afternoon. Well, I didn't know who Chelsea or Wolves were, but Chelsea did win, and David presented me with sixpence the next day, which I duly spent at the sweet shop down the road. I remember going to spend sixpence at the sweet shop. You could get quite a lot in those days. Yeah. Following that marvellous day, I learned that my granddad watched Chelsea from the early years when he lived in Fulham. His wife's family had a close association with Fulham. Hearing Tony's story made me think of my teenage years when I followed the Blues from afar and had many hundreds of shoot magazines and pored over the football results in Monday's classified, And the holy of holy days was Monday evening at six when the big match was on. I was known amongst my footballing mates as Chelsea. It remains the first topic of conversation even when we meet up these days. Of course, the 70s was a difficult time for us, but some marvellous times were had the homegrown team led by Ray Wilkins. The day we beat Liverpool 4-2, and I think Clive Walker scored twice, he did. And having a blinder. I loved him, but not as much as Butch. Tony's recall of the moment in Fever Pitch, my favourite film despite the obvious. And Mark sees the green swad. Mm-hmm. sent shivers up the back of my... What's that? <laughs> Mark sees the green sward Sharp i
0: don't know what that, <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know he's invented the word though i don't know but anyway whatever it, whatever it, means, it was it, it
2: said shivers up my back during the drive yeah. i had a similar experience when i visited for the first time on boxing day 1979 chelsea Leicester, mickey Droy scoring the winner i've shared this with the fan car previously or no on that day the shed was to my right and there were muddy brown areas in each goal in the center circle not like today Thanks, Tony, for your eloquent story and Chidge for arranging these fantastic interludes. I still hope to meet with you all one of these days when things start to return to what we have previously known as normal. Thanks again, Steve Rollinson, Lennox Head, New South Wales, Australia. Great email. Thank you very much, Steve. Really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, these my Chelsea things. I'm, I'm, I'm I love to see that they get a lot of love. They're so much fun to do, and 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 I, why we hadn't done this sooner, I will never know. Jk. Time. Yeah. No, I. thought <laughs> I thought it was saying time time at the bar. Then,
1: for a minute as he <laughs> sips his pint. Time, <laughs> gentlemen, please. Uh, off we go. Six minutes past nine. Um, off you go, mate, Jeff Jones. I was going to say that um, the bit in Fever Pitch is. Uh, uh, it, he says, "My favourite film, despite the obvious, because he's a gooner." And when Mark sees the green sword, when he sees the pitch, green sward. Is,
2: that, sword, is green. that? I'm sorry, I'm I'm not as educated as your good self. I've That's, never. heard well, likewise. I've never likewise, heard that before.
1: Green sword, It's the it's the green of the pitch. The sword Is it? I,
2: yet, I do. I know that now. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Okay. No. Problem. And I I
2: I, feel, I second you, that. I feel suitably stupid now.
1: <laughs> so do I. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> <read> mean. <laughs> oh, to oh, no, I know you
2: didn't. You I, ju- I just am stupid. Yeah, carry on.
1: <laughs> no, it's just something I've always, you know, it's kind of actor's thing. You know, see you on the green. Oh, the green sward awaits me. You know, it's that you know, kind of... Who knew? Well, who knows? Yeah, it's yeah. now seven
2: minutes past nine. Get on with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, just to say, George Graham was brilliant. Completely brilliant player. Absolutely okay. wonderful. His leaving was another one of those things that drives a nail through your heart when you're a a boy and a football fan. Why? Why did he go? In fact, Cannaville completely bemused me. You know, then you discover later on why they've sold these people. Weller going. Oh what? what? You know, and then
0: it's- Eight minutes past
1: nine. Yeah. But, oh, excuse me, having a mo- an emotional moment here, and you're just being being you're you're, you're buggering up my my milling whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, Jeff Jones. Chidge, Jonathan distinguished older guest.
2: Oh, that's not true. I I think he means other. Yes. I think that's probably other guest I
1: think that's, rather that's, than older. That's a predictive text. <laughs> 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 that should be the age of <coughs> <and> Jonathan. <laughs> that should be. Really... Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for all continuing to alleviate the pain that's a lack of football. As I've said before, y'all have been giving us American Chelsea Sports, some normal Santa Claus. So, so I don't know why I became dreadful Southern idiot. Chidge, you lamented there were mo- not more emails for you and JK to read on the most recent fancast. That's why I'm writing this. I've got three things to say. Right, if he doesn't say got, because Americans don't say got other than got I have three things to say. Number one, I'm a little familiar with Roger Miller because of YouTube videos I've seen, but I'm even more familiar with Roger Miller, one of my favourite artists of all time. I got a good laugh hearing Jonathan recite the lyrics to King of the Road a couple of weeks ago. Sorry, a couple weeks ago. I can whistle the melody and harmony of... England swings and I can do a pretty good rendition of engine number no. nine. Now I know England swings because that's England swings like a pendulum do, barbers on bicycles, two by two, Westminster Abbey, the Tower of Big Ben, the rosy little cheeks of the little children. That's Roger Miller, England swings, but I don't remember engine number no. nine. Anyway, thank you. Get number- on with it. Yeah, I'm getting on with it. <laughs> Number two, please continue with the reviews of seasons past. I didn't discover football until 2006, which is when I started supporting Chelsea. The Premier League had just started to come to the States. I'd have no idea how supporting, supporting us when we were shit would be if it wasn't for the fan cast. I obviously still don't know because I've only known success. Anyhow, please don't ever think that telling stories from years past is boring. You can ask my wife. She's been annoyed that I've continued to listen to Yal religiously, even though there's no football. The story of Lord Richard Attenborough bringing Steve McQueen to Stamford Bridge for a match was amazing to hear. The Great Escape is one of my favorite movies, and I'm about to start it once I finish writing this email. JK, I've dived into various documentaries on Netflix, and I stumbled across one, I'm paraphrasing, The Russian Revolution, Being from the States, I'm not used to hearing your voice speaking about anything other than Chelsea, so it tickled me to hear some of your professional work. I mean, no respect, oops, what's happening here, to you or the producers of said show, but I couldn't help but think of your rants against referees (laughs) the AR (laughs) as I watched it. It made me smile. I was talking about Lenin. That bloody Lenin. Can't believe what he got up to. With that Stalin, unbelievable, dreadful behaviour. How could he? How could he kill those Romanovs? Anyways, I'm a big fan. I thank you for continuing to to record during these times. Congrats on 500. I'm sorry I can't listen to all of them. Blue... It's the colour, spelt without the U, because he's from Atlanta. Jeff Jones, Atlanta, Georgia, USA, USA.
0: Fantastic. Great email, actually, and uh, another fan you've got, Jonathan. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these last two out because they're very quick. Uh, one's from Instagram from the lovely Josh Dennison. He says, uh, in a similar vein to, to, uh, to Jeff, actually, thank you for keeping Chelsea fans smiling in these difficult times. I'm a newcomer to the podcast, but I've supported Chelsea since I was seven, around 2001, 2002, from the faraway land, Brisbane, Australia. It's been incredible learning the history of our incredible club with your insights from the 70s. Anyway, that's me. Stay safe, thinking of you all. Cheers, Josh. You stay safe too, down uh, down under in Brisbane. And lovely to hear from somebody on Instagram, which is another platform that we're on. And finally, and this is something that we've overlooked since probably the second year we were doing the show... Uh, that I've actually forgotten about it. And I was amazed to see there are 129 of these. I I think I gave up when I saw some really appalling, really just foul reviews of our podcast, saying how awful we are, particularly that wanker Stanford Chidge who thinks he knows about Chelsea. So I think I gave up reading... The reviews on iTunes, but sorry, uh, I stop putting them on. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think somebody wrote a really rude one and saying how can they be proper Chelsea they can't even be bothered to go to the game. I think this was when Martin decided to go to Henley or something, and it really offended this bloke who felt so strongly about writing in. Uh, So I gave up. I gave up uh, really looking at them. But but I'm delighted to say we get an iTunes rating overall of four point five. So they're they're basically you know pretty good. There's only a few that hate us, uh, but there you go. Um, out of 129. Anyway, Oliver Wil- Wilkins. He 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 said this, and this is lovely. Actually, from Oliver, He says amazing guys on this show, all about the greatest football club in the world, Chelsea. Please follow them at Chelsea Fancast on Instagram. Love you, Stamford at Stamford uh please can you keep Jonathan Kidd in bubble wrap for me to keep him safe from covid nineteen uh from at oliver wilkins twenty three well they i mean i mean bubble wrap uh, did you, re- do you want me to cut a little hole over his mouth Oliver so he can still do the podcast? I can arrange for it not to be. Uh, uncovered, you know, it's it's no extra fee involved at all. <laughs> yes, but uh, lovely that they, they love you, Jonathan, and me. And then uh, if they knew Clayton was on tonight, they would love him too, I'm sure. But uh, it's nice to get a nice review. I'd forgotten all about those.
2: Lovely. The London is Blue boys do them before every show, don't they, or at the beginning of every show?
0: Yeah, but you see, that's the difference between London is Blue and me. They beg for theirs. <laughs> I don't. And <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, by the way, <laughs> by the way, Brandon and Nick and Dan, I hope y'all keep them well over there on the other side of the pond because I love you guys, man. And uh, I know, I know. Actually, I was. Well, this is the sad thing. I mean, I spoke to one of them the other week, and I was going to try and get one of them on the show, but. And I haven't had a chance to reply yet, but it's also occurred to me that we're slightly changing the lineup at the moment. You've probably noticed a proliferation of the older gits on the show rather than the youngsters. Because the last time we tried that, the youngster fell asleep and started writing her novel because she was really bored, stupid, talking about something that happened 20 years before she was born. Uh, but I suspect it might be true of the others. So they will start creeping back in as we get into the 80s and the 90s. Uh, but, uh, but as I said, uh, you blue boys over there, London is blue. I, I, I kind of, it's normal service will be resumed and we'll get you on. I promise. Anyway, that I'm afraid, people. By the way, thank you for your emails. Do send them in, ChelseaFanCast at gmail.com. But that is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next Monday when Jonathan and I will be joined by the wonderful Mark Meehan uh, at Eddie Mac. Uh, B-A-W-A on Twitter or uh, basically Eddie McCready 1977 on Twitter uh, to look back at the 75-76 season in our 50 years of Chelsea series now Mark if you don't know him was very instrumental in writing the book uh, Eddie Eddie Mack uh, which is which covers this period in Chelsea's history as well as Tim's does with Stamford Bridges falling down. And Mark's lovely, so hopefully I might even get him on for the week after, actually, if I can, because I, I know that was his favourite season. But before that, on Friday, we'll have another edition of my Chelsea as one of the Chelsea Fangirls crew discuss how they became a Chelsea supporter, their favourite players and matches growing up, and their best and worst moments as a Chelsea fan. And of course, as you well know, the Chelsea Fancast is available as a podcast on ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify, as well as all other podcast distributors. Talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea Fancast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they
2: so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. And you can follow the show on Twitter at
0: Chelsea Fancast, Me at Stanford Cheers, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Clayton at Goldie59, Dean at Dean Mears, Marco at Gate17Marco, Joe at Joe Tweedy, Tony at Grocer Jack UK, Martin at Martin Wickham, Dan at Dansilv73, Liam at Liam underscore Toomey, and Alex, of course, at CFCGWLB. And as we said earlier, the FanCast website is ChelseaFanCast.com. And, of course, we're on Instagram and uh, at Chelsea Fancast and Facebook, of course. Right, enough. We've got to go home. Because Clayton's, Clayton is now... Clayton started out this show and it was light wherever he's sitting. And he's now in pitch black... He looks very atmospheric, I have to say. But Clayton, as ever, my friend, it's been a delight sharing a couple of hours with you. and Thank you for your input on, on a period, of course, that you were actually going and I wasn't.
2: Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Really, really love to see you and JK. And um, yeah. everybody stay safe. And uh, yeah, you I'll too, see you mate. in a couple of weeks' time, no doubt.
0: Hopefully. Ho- yeah, yeah, and I, I might try and tell you next That'll time. That'll be good. Okay, mate, lovely to see you. JK, you bounder. Lovely to see You're you too.
1: A You're a cad, Chid.
0: You're bounder. Absolute shower. You're
1: a bugger's muddle.
0: I am indeed. Uh, really great fun tonight. I'm really looking forward to next week already, especially with Mark. That'll be cracking. So don't miss out on that, people. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it chills. Oh, Up it the chills!
1: chills.
0: It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.